So you think you're taking me in, huh? Guess what? Not happening. You tell Cocteau he can kiss my ass. Yeah, that's right. You tell Cocteau it's going to take an army to get rid of me because I don't give a I got nothing to lose. I don't want to rain on your parade, pal. But I don't know who the hell you are, let alone want to take you anywhere. So stay here, be well, and Cocteau's an Hey, let's take him and dump him up top. They're only down here to spy on us. Wait a minute. You're the guy outside Taco Bell. Yeah. What do you want? I guess you weren't part of the cocktail plan. Greed? Deception? Abuse of power? That's no plan. That's why everybody's down here? You got that right. See, according to Cocteau's plan, I'm the enemy. Because I like to think. I like to read. I'm into freedom of speech and freedom of choice. I'm the kind of guy who likes to sit in a greasy spoon and wonder, gee, should I have the T-bone steak or the jumbo rack of barbecue ribs with the side order of gravy fries? I want high cholesterol. I want to eat bacon and butter and buckets of cheese, okay? I want to smoke Cuban cigar the size of Cincinnati in a non-smoking section. I want to run to the streets naked with green jello all over my body reading Playboy magazine. Why? Because I suddenly might feel the need to, okay, pal? I've seen the future. You know what it is? It's a 47-year-old virgin sitting around in his beige pajamas drinking a banana broccoli shake thing and I'm an Oscar Mayer wiener. You live up top, you live Cocteau's way. What he wants, when he wants, how he wants. Your other choice? Come down here. Maybe start with that. minutes and 15 seconds after the hour of 11 in this, the month of January in the year of our Lord, 2009. Thank you for coming by and making a part of your listening day. We are live from the plushly appointed yet not overly ostentatious studios of AM 970. The talker of this, my friends, is the Rick Emerson Cavalcade of Whimsy. Draw near and be amused. It is uh, 503-733-2970. If you'd like to join us today, 503 733 970. It is uh, Monday, and welcome to Day 12. Thank you all for coming by. It is January 6th, which I do believe is Epiphany. Here's the thing about that. I don't remember what that is. It's just a thing that we had to do when I was in school. Richie, you didn't go to Catholic school. You weren't, you're not Catholic, are you? No, but I like Catholic. Liked Catholic girls. All right. Were you? Ra- I probably asked this. Were you raised in any kind of religion? Uh, Buddhist. Really? And a Mormon. I was a Mormon in high school. No, no, no. We talked about this before. You weren't a Mormon. You were just pretending to be a Mormon to get some girl. A couple years. A long time to get a girl. You can't be a Buddhist and a Mormon at the same time. I don't think that works. All right. Well, in any event, it seems like January 6th is some sort of a Catholic uh, holiday. January 6th? Do you remember a thing, having to celebrate a thing called Epiphany? No. Which I think is also a brand of guitar. No, that's an Epiphone. I think they're spelled the same way, though. I think they're homophones. All right. Stop now, everyone. I can already sense some sort of crazy, some sort of crazy, weird, half-lifing away of any sort of, any degree of control. All right. Moving on. Now. Hello, it is uh, Tuesday. It's a Rick Emerson radio program. If you'd like to join us, it's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. 
733-2970. If you'd like to uh, get on board today with your comments, questions, clarifications, ruminations, ponderings, music, uh, musings, unfounded uh, rumors, uh, unsubstantiated uh, gossip, uh, I don't know, malicious, uh, you know, whatnots. Uh, so I'm all distracted by the story about the feces. I gotta start. I gotta put this stuff down. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. Richie Bristol standing by, ready, willing, and able to pass along your observations about the interesting, the groundbreaking, the tedious, the mundane, the absurd. Anecdotes about an abacus. Whatever it is you might have today. It's five zero three seven three three two nine seventy. You can also email if you like. It's Rick at rickemerson.com rick at rickemerson.com sarah at 970.am or richie with a t at 970.am coming up uh, later on in the noon hour we will be joined once again uh, our friend Todd Tulsis will be returning to the studio today he of the uh, Tom Harvin has a trunk full of cheerleaders that guy he'll be back with us today I was talking to he actually sent me a um, he sent me a really nice email over the weekend uh, it was like, Rick, I had a great time, and I'd love to come back to the studio whenever you'd like to have me. So as we're sort of putting together the rest of this week and next week in terms of who's going to be filling in in the, in the news department, um, it, we're going to be having new folks come in. Well, we had Chuck Knopf in yesterday, and then we're also going to be having, as we kind of roll forward, you know, some of the folks who've been in will probably pay a return visit and so forth. Anyway, so Todd Tulsis, back with us today. Um, and uh, so forth. So that's coming up uh, later on today. CNN Radio correspondent Lisa Desjardins joining us today from the Hill. By the way, I archived it quickly before I could uh, before I could lose it, and then actually Fatboy sent it to me as well. He spotted it. Lisa Desjardins, as of now, I believe. Now let me check. I'm pretty sure that her uh, picture is actually on the front page of the Drudge Report right now. I think if you go to DrudgeReport.com, you will see a picture of that. Who is that guy? Barres, Rod Barres, Bill Barres, whatever it is. That guy that the Blagojevich tried to seat as the Illinois senator, and then I guess he got turned away. I guess he tried to. Uh, I guess he tried to go in, and there was somebody who was like you shall not pass, and that blocked his way. Yeah, right there. So if you look on, if you look at DrudgeReport.com, you're going to see two photos. On the right, you will see Barres walking down the hall while a team of reporters flanks him. On the left, I believe, is CNN TV correspondent Dana Bash. On the right is Lisa Desjardins holding a microphone with a press pass around her neck and wearing what must be called an adorable, somewhat French-looking hat. And, like, shoving a microphone at him, and you can all but hear her saying, Do you have any comment on it? No, right there. Just sort of demanding that he speak into the microphone. So Fatboy sent that to me, and I'd already seen it, like, downloaded it to my hard drive, so I would have it forever. And here's the thing. I'm not even sure if she knows that, that, she, that it's there. Really? Well, because she's busy. I mean, because she's obviously, you know, the, the sort of staking out the, you know, the story up there. So I don't know if she's had a chance to actually go to the Drudge Report. Anyway, so you go to DrudgeReport.com. Oh, my gosh. See our own Lisa Desjardins right there. How great is that? That's awesome. Yeah. That's oh, that hat's really cute. Yeah, that's, when, that's how you know you've made it right there. Based on the Drudge Report. That's it. You've either made it or you're about to be arrested for something, or quite possibly both. Anyway, so there you go. Uh, we'll talk to Cena Radio Correspondent Lisa Desjardins. We'll talk to Cena Radio Correspondent Steve Kastenbaum uh, from New York City. And later on, Cena Radio Correspondent James Roop. Our first uh, visit with Jim Roop in the new year. We'll talk about the murder rate in Los Angeles, which is dropping. And there was something else. There was something vaguely interesting happening in Los Angeles. So what was the other Los Angeles story? There was something about the murder rate dropping in Los Angeles, and then... What was the other thing he was discussing? Who was Bob? Yeah. Roop? What else did he? What else is he talking about? Obama stimulus pack. Well, we're not talking no, about Jim Roof. Jim Roof. Uh, L.A. homicides. Uh, Roman Polanski. Roman Polanski. That's right. Bastard. 
All right, so we've got breaking news on him as well, I think. All right, that's coming up. Uh, we'll do another installment of uh, the greatest songs ever made. Geek Watch coming up today. Uh, Cannibal Watch coming up today. Taser Watch coming up today. The lovely Katie Darrell from TMZ.com will be gracing the program later on. Again, Todd Tulsa is going to join us. We'll try to get to this business of the of the teacher statistics. Uh, let's see what else. Uh, I have the creepiest thing that was said to anybody at any sort of max stop anywhere in Portland today. I've got that. We'll get to that. Um, and uh, the brand new Office catalog is here from Office Depot. They gave this to Dave's in upstairs, uh, along with a whole new batch of motivational posters for 2009. Yay! So we'll talk about those. Oh, and by the way, just I took I took the liberty of actually removing the big announcement from the kitchen door that said that we're invited to the CBS Radio Holiday Party happening Wednesday, December night, uh, 17th. A, because it's no longer December, or in fact the holiday season, or in fact 2008. I thought it was going to be rescheduled for some time. Yeah, I was going to say also because this the CBS radio holiday party never actually happened. I don't think that took place. I think they decided it was... Um, I think they felt the vibe was a little off for a holiday party. Well, and it, was also, to... it was during Snowpocalypse, too. Is that, the, is that what they told you? Yeah. Is that the reason they gave you? No, 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 it's because of the... Uh, no, we're all quite festive here. It's just the... Uh, just the weather. Anyway, so there, apparently there was going to be excellent food and drink, though, Sarah. Also, great prizes and giveaways, including a Weber grill, wireless TV, and ski passes. Awesome. Well, I'm sure those will be given to us at some future point. Maybe as part of a bonus. All right, it's uh, 503-733-2970. If you'd like to uh, join us today, we are uh, joined, as always, by the lovely and talented Sarah Stellan. Hello, how are you doing? Today? Hello. So your necklace matches... Uh, like a, like a wristband or whatever it is you have on your left wrist. Oh, no, these are just of. hair things. Like hair like hair clip band things. Oh yeah, I just didn't, right. I need. No, you look nice today. Why? Thank you. Gonna... So, how was your night, Sarah Dillon? <laughs> did you enjoy your Monday evening? Oh boy, did I. Um. <laughs> yeah, I've had better days. I'm only asking because the people will want to know. All right, if the people must know, I am. No longer seeing the comedian. Oh, right. well, but wasn't that the case? Didn't we? Didn't we know that before the show even ended yesterday? Yes. Sometimes I lose track of. Sometimes I lose track of a. What has you shouldn't laugh, Richie? That's a terrible. Well, because at the beginning of the show we said uh, your future ex-boyfriend, and by the end of the show he was his ex for her brother. I forgot all about that. Mm-hmm. I forgot that you said that. Don't say we. That was you oh, who yeah. said that. No, because by the end of the show, at the, so. at the beginning of yesterday's program, Monday. Sarah actually, for the first time, referred to the comedian as being her boyfriend, but then you, I forgot all about that, you no, bastard. No, I didn't. <laughs> Richie made the comment about the future, your future ex-boyfriend. So you made it happen. You sort of conjured that They're out of the ether, Richie. Boyfriend. Boyfriend. I didn't do it. The show did. All right. Striking up relationships across board. You know, that's not true. You know, here's the thing about that. People will sometimes accuse this program of being damaging to relationships, but really, I would say it's not that the opposite is true. It's just that... I think the only thing the show does is really just to expedite what was probably already going to well, happen. People anyway. always think, like, especially with the men I've dated, like they always think it's really neat to date somebody on the radio until yeah. they actually date somebody on the radio. Uh-huh. Yeah. It always it always sounds better than it actually is. Yeah. No, there's there's four things that sound a lot better to a guy than actually work well with a guy when he's dating you. Uh, don't take any disrespect that I'm lumping you into this category, but guys who are dating. Uh, Strippers, swingers, porn stars, or radio hosts always find those things to be really fascinating and interesting and somewhat sexy and alluring. Mm-hmm. And then sort of the reality sinks in that you're going to be bonking 15 other guys uh, by a jacuzzi somewhere. And or suddenly... I'm going to be like talking about my relationship on the air. <laughs> <laughs> and, that his, and that his friends are going to be emailing the program to rat him out about something. Um, and then it all kind of goes sideways. Yeah. So, well, I mean, go. but truth be told, this wasn't the 
This was th- that was just a one of a few things that just weren't yes. particularly going. The final straw in the relationship. That, back. It was. It was like not that that was the biggest thing um, in the world, but it was definitely piled on with a couple other things. Well. I like to. I mean, I think that the show really does. If anything, I think all we really do is just speed things along to whatever their inevitable conclusion is going to be. I mean, that's it. I, you know, I. If you're going to break up with somebody like in a week, we'll probably make it happen in five or six minutes. Oh, yeah. If you're going to get divorced in like three years, God golly, uh, you know, we'll just make sure that it happens. You know, like in about six months. So. Yeah, it's pretty impressive. I, I had a boyfriend for about. Two weeks. Well done, Sarah Dillon. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, Thank you. Uh, that's great. You know what? Baby steps. Sort of like dating in dog years. <laughs> <laughs> dating on the metric system. Thanks. Well, you know, what can you do? Maybe you should uh, date a stripper. There yes, you go. I want to date a stripper. Male yeah. stripper, of course. Well, no, Maybe I you should date somebody else who works in radio. Maybe that's it. Maybe you should become half of a radio couple. Maybe you should date somebody else who's in radio because then all that baggage is taken no, care of in advance. See, no, because I thought that maybe, like, with the comedian, since he's um, kind of in the public light, too, I thought that maybe we could be some, like... A power couple? Yeah. But in turn, it's just, I don't think... <laughs> Comedy. Be like, I don't think he was as stoked about, like... Um, like, when we'd be out, like, even on New Year's Eve, for example, there's this... Um, there were these awesome guys. There's this band playing at the Were they house. constantly coming up to him and saying, hey, you're that comedian? Well, they'd say, like, yeah, you're the comedian, but they, like, dedicated a song to me, and he's just like, wow, isn't that weird for you when people, like, come up to you and talk to you? I'm like, why would it be weird? Did, huh? they actually, did they actually recognize him as the comedian? I was being sarcastic just now. I was trying to imply that no one ever came up and said, hey, you're that comedian. No, I mean, if he's with me, sometimes they'd be like, right, oh, is this okay. the comedian? Oh, I see. So they know him as Mr. Dillon. Yes. Or they knew him as Mr. And I don't Dillon. think I don't think that uh, men Mr. love comedian, being an adjunct to women. That's it. I just don't think that Mr. Comedian wanted to be a Mr. Dylan. Yeah, more than anything else, guys love feeling like a useless appendix. <laughs> Especially if they're trying to like strive for their own identity too, you know. So, which I can, you know, I can totally understand. Yeah. Just, some people aren't into that. Yes. Yes. Yes, it is true. <laughs> All right. So well, yes. Yeah, so needless to say. My name's Sarah Dillon, and I'm single. All right, there you go. Have you updated your... Uh, did you ever change your Facebook or your MySpace status? No. All right, that's, there you go. See, I like the idea that you hadn't even really fully invested. One foot out the door from the very beginning, because you hadn't bothered to change... Were you going to change your status? It's not official until you do that, though. I don't know, eventually. I don't know. Well, I was kind of... Well, I was going to, but then... I don't know, but then he hadn't either, and I was like, eh. Was this you were waiting for him to change the status first? Maybe, but I hadn't really given it a lot of thought. All right. Okay. I don't know. The whole thing is just messy. Here's the thing. If Sarah... And guess what? When I got home yesterday, too, um, you know, I get into my house and I'm just like, wow, this is the greatest day ever. I trip over a package, and it's the Christmas present that I had sent to me for him. Oh, wait. So the present you bought for him just arrived yesterday. Oh, yeah. Well, now you can return it. Buy yourself something shiny. No, give it to the next dude. <gasps> there you go. You can just re-gift it to, to the no, next Mr. Dillon. I, I still kind of want to, I don't know, maybe I'll just like mail it to him or get it to him because I don't want it in my house. And, and I bought it, you know, specifically for him. So. Maybe you should do some sort of a voodoo cleansing ritual where you and Kelsey burn it. You know what I mean? He's, you know, he's not a bad person. I know. You know, but, you know, but I'm doing my, you know what it is? It's the friend's job to try to, vil, you know, vilify whoever the ex is. Isn't it? Don't we all understand yeah. that? Yeah. Doesn't matter who they are. As soon as you break up with somebody, suddenly, you know, F him. He wasn't worth it, baby. He's wrong. You're right. He never did. That's exactly. He never deserved you. I did go through many bottles of wine with a um, couple of my greatest girlfriends. Yes, yeah, so I, I got a call from uh, Sarah last night. Uh, I don't know how deep you were into the wine, but I got a call oh, from... Oh, that was pretty deep. Yeah, I got a call, yeah. I got a no, call from... No, we actually had to go and buy more wine. You had to restock? Oh, you had yeah. to walk to the store, I'm no, sure. No, we went through. It was Kelsey and Heather and I. Um, that's a lot of drinking right there. Yeah, I know. We can all kind of come down pretty well. And... Uh, 
Yeah, so we had a giant bottle of wine, one of those double bottles of wine. I don't know what a double bottle of it's wine like 100 is. And, it's like 1.5. Oh, in five. terms of size? Yeah, so yeah, it's like, okay. so it's a double bottle. So we had a double bottle of wine, and then we went and got another double bottle of wine, and then bought, had two bottles of champagne. And, you're, and when you say a double bottle of wine, are you a Gallo girl? No, it was... What was it? It was Foxhorn. Foxhorn? Foxhorn? I don't know. I have no idea. <laughs> I, here's, dog. The, here's the thing. I don't know anything about wine. All I know about so wine... Between the three of us, we drank four bottles of wine and two bottles of champagne. There you go. That's impressive. Well, you know what? That's what friends are for, Sarah. That's what, I have the greatest friends. I'm so grateful for them because, you know, in turn, even though breaking up sucks, like, if you have good enough friends, that it kind of makes it a, a whole different experience, you know, because it gives you the experience. Well, because otherwise you're just going home right? and just, like, staring at that bottle of Vicod on the, sh- you know, on the yeah. shelf over and over again. It's going, I wonder how many it would take. I don't know. Maybe if I chase it with some whiskey. I don't know. I don't want to be one of those guys that just wakes up in a coma and, like, can't move the left side of my body. Ah, crap. Yeah, seriously, yesterday I've never felt like more of an alcoholic when I, you know, I'm talking to Heather after. She's like, I'll be over at 5. And so, like, at 5.01, and she shows up and we're eating food and just crack the first big bottle of wine. Ah, that's wonderful. Well, you know, that's what friends are for. They'll hold it your is. hair while you vomit, and they'll stagger to the store to buy more booze. It is. It's You know, it's all about the experience, too. And, you know, they turned a potentially um, pretty bad day to me into, like, a really fun one. All right. Well, there you go. Your friends are fun, drunk. Yeah. Yes. I've seen you. Hello, Richie Bristol. How are you? Good. All right. Jealous. Hey, I wasn't around for the drunk friends. Nah, well, you know, but none of us. Kelsey's Kelsey coming in today. She's, is she drunk? No, but they're, they both got they both got guys though, right? Kelsey and Heather are both in relationships, sort of. They do. Not they are drinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Heather just started a new relationship. Right, so there you go, Richie. You're out in the cold. I'm sorry. I know, but when you're drinking, it changes things. Uh, Why well, feel ew? Uh-huh. <laughs> no, I feel bad because both of them are in super happy. Like you know, Heather's just started dating this guy, and then Kelsey's. You know, found the love of her life, and so they're all like going. But they don't want to be happy in front of you. No, and I don't. Yeah, and I don't care because I I kept asking Heather about her men, right? Who I won't reveal, but he is a friend of the show, and uh, and she was talking about him, just like tell me happy things. He's so dreamy. But I feel I'm like don't feel bad that you're happy because you know another relationship of mine went awry. Okay. Another day. You're sort of the chaos factor. Uh, in you know in you know in your group of friends you are sort of the uh, and I hate to say this because you probably never even watched the show but you are very did you ever watch Thirty Something? Uh uh-uh. uh. see so guys who watch Thirty Something or women who watch Thirty Something you're very much like the character of Melanie Myron uh, who was sort of just like as the series went on she kind of became like like the cool sort of weird dotty aunt uh, who just like you know like dated but didn't like never you know wasn't married and she was like. I forget how old she was. Well, I guess she was 30-something by, by definition, but she was like in her late 30s by the end of the show, but she still was like dyeing her hair pink, and she looked like Nymphadora Tonks from the Harry from the Harry Potter movies, you know, but was like lived in a loft and like was, you know, like always going to like, I'm doing going to a performance art show tonight, and everybody else has got like nine kids and a Volvo. That's what I think, you know? because I know a lot of people who have dreamt about, you know, being married and, you know, having kids and stuff, and I've never thought about doing that. I mean... Yeah. Whenever I thought about it, I, just, I thought of being a single girl with a cool job living in a city. Can I like, tell you? Well, okay. Can I tell you? No, you can tell. You can tell me anything. I know, I know, I know. But I. Okay. Can I? Now this is a long time ago. Now can I tell you? Since since we're you know since we're talking about you know feelings and so forth, uh, or whatever. Yesterday we had Chuck Knopf on the program, who was our news uh, not our, who was our news guy yesterday, but for many years did the news at our sister station KWJJ, and we were talking about the. Uh, you know how we used to work together, and Chuck and uh, Mike Chase used to sort of uh, you know, they used to be at, they used to be at odds sometimes, very loudly in the hallway. And it and the thing when and just my final note on this because it was in the recap when Chuck Knopp and Mike Chase used to fight, it wasn't like one of those arguments that you want to kind of eavesdrop on and hear. It was the kind that you you're like I don't want to be hearing this. It was so uncomfortable. I want to be shutting this out. 
It's like, and of course, none of screaming. And none of us like had offices. Totally. And it's like, and so we're all just there in cubicles. And it's not like we're able to hide behind a door. Like, I'm sitting there. Tim and I would be prepping our nerves, like, not hearing, not listening. And meanwhile, you know, it's like you're just waiting for the sound of smashing glass and the sound of an ambulance being summoned and you know, the scribbling of a restraining order being filed. Uh, so, you know, so we were, we were talking about that. And you were talking about how at one point you you'd, uh, had kind of, a, kind of a crush on Mike Chase when you first started working with him. Mm. Can I tell you something that I thought about you when I first knew you? And this was many, many years ago. Okay. But, <laughs> but there... Are you going to kick me while I'm down? No, 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 no. I'm just going to say this is, for some reason, you were talking about how you've never seen yourself as being married or having kids. Um, Although I would, I, I don't really want the babies, but I would like to have, I'd like to get married at some point. See, well, I'm not saying you don't, I'm not saying you don't want to get married, but I'm saying you don't necessarily, like a lot of people, like it's just a foregone conclusion in their head that like by age whatever I will be married and by age whatever I will have kids. Like in other words, they totally see themselves, some people I think view their lives as like, they're like on, um. It's like when you're on that track at Disneyland's Autopia, where where you can sort of kind of steer, but not really. Like, you're just on the track, and it's taking you wherever. So, I, I, I mean, you said you'd like to get married, but you don't necessarily see yourself in any sort of a timeline. Yeah. So, years ago, when, when you uh, were first working on the show, and I think it might have been when Christina was still there. So, there was Christina Carlson, who was, I think, at that point, getting ready to leave, and then you were on the show, getting ready to step into the new role. And I think... Laura had asked me some, because Laura, not just Laura, there were many, many, many people who were convinced that I was in love with Christina, and they thought that there was this, that there was this whole thing between oh, Christina and I. Oh, I remember that. Yeah, which, which was not the guy. I'm quite fond of her, and I was, you know, whatever, but, uh, you know, we were, you know, I felt a certain warmness toward her, but it wasn't like a thing or anything. But I think at one point, Laura and I were having this discussion about... About Christina and about her husband, because he was like some youth minister for, you know, what, for minister for Christ, and they ended up moving off to with the bend or something. And which reminds me that at some point we got to check and see if she actually had kids or if that's a thing we just sort of assumed she would have done by now. Well, because it's been like six years. But see, don't you just figure that she had kids? She that's how those I mean, things has, always yeah, she go. She has a husband, like right out of college. Yeah, and she's all Jesus-y and whatnot, and Jesus loves your... Jesus wants babies. Jesus loves your uterus. Jesus loves your womb. Um, but but then she was talking about about you, and it's not that she had confused the two of you, but it's that like Christina was leaving and Sarah was coming on the show, and Lara was talking about well you know well what's Sarah like is she anything like Christina? And we were sort of talking about the differences between the two, and I this is when I first knew you, but I made the observation that in my head if I was to sort of fast forward through Christina's life and through your life, I said that if I was to like flash forward like ten or fifteen years. I saw Christina uh, sort of, I don't know, sort of like single and out like, I don't know, and out sort of living some weird sort of like nomadish kind of rock and roll penny lane existence. But that, again, this is years ago, but at the time when I first knew you, I said if I was to look forward like 10 or 15 or 20 years, I somehow saw you being uh, like, I somehow saw you being like the kept woman of like the rich guy. I don't know why I thought that. I because and it was clear even then that you had a real like independent streak, uh, but I guess I guess at some point I thought I thought well she's got this real independent streak, but you know but I think at some point she'll probably just she'll probably just sell out and just hook up with some guy who's got like a billion dollars, so which I don't say to be disrespectful. No, I'm not saying that I wouldn't do that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was just my read on you when we first met for some reason. I I told Lana like I absolutely can see that happening, and I and I can't really see that happening anymore. I think you're just too. You just got, you know, you're just too free, free willed for that. I mean, you're, you're too much. You have too much of your own sense of, of self. My heart needs to be a bit broken. I'm just, 
I'm saying you, yes, you haven't met you haven't met the right man to decimate your uh, to decimate your willpower. See, everyone always thinks that willpower and being free spirited and like independent is a good thing until they date you. <laughs> yes, yes. Then it's less attractive, isn't it? All right. Um, so we've got some calls to get to. We've gotten to nothing in this opening segment, but that's okay. Uh, I'm going to just read these two small notes, then we'll take a break. We'll come back with Lisa Desjardins on the front page of the Drudge Report. Um, I think I'll have to wait, and I'll have to get to this thing that I shouldn't even say who. It was Bridget from upstairs. We'll get to this thing she was talking to me about yesterday. I'm just going to read this to you. No matter how badly your morning went, no matter what happened to you today, no matter how trying uh, your morning travails may have been, at least you did not have to send this text. This is a text I read. I'm just going to quote this. This is from a woman. It's a text this morning, a woman who was taking public transit. Quote, Seriously, WTF. Strange dude at the max stop. Not only talking to me, but offered me some of his coffee if I'd squirt in my milk. Who does that? Question mark, end quote. There you go. A woman presumably... Uh, of oh. the lactational variety. Oh, that's even gross. A man, a, <laughs> man, a man offered her some of his coffee. If only she'd squirt in a little milk. So there you go. So uh, you know. So whatever it is you had to face this morning when you got out of bed, you didn't have to stand next to that guy. Uh, all right. Well, we should take a break here. We, we're way behind. Uh, coming up later on, Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, James Roop, Todd Tulsa will be here for the news. Uh, we'll do the top five greatest songs ever made and more. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson radio program, though. Well, all right, then. Why, hello. It is the Rick Emerson radio program, an excursion into amusements. And sadness. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Sarah, before we talk to Lisa, let me just, let me allow, let me let me cheer you up here by, uh, allow me just to lift your spirits by reading aloud from one of the motivational posters that you can buy in the new Office Depot catalog, which arrived today. Oh, please do. Sarah, let me talk to you about, um, wait, hold on. Let me talk to you about integrity, Sarah. And it's illustrated here with a picture of a wave hitting a lighthouse. Oh. And it says, Sarah, those who preserve their integrity remain unshaken by the storms of daily life. How about this one? Would you like to know about working together? Would I ever. It shows a series of men uh, rowing, uh, I think it's called crew, or what, it's like a bunch of guys, you know, like a bunch of Ivy League guys on a boat, working together. Sarah, coming together is the beginning, but keeping together is the progress. Maybe that was the wrong one to read. No, I'm sorry. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show from the Hill. I've chosen poorly. CNN radio correspondent to the stars, Lisa Desjardins. Hello there. Hello there. How are you today? I'm good. I'm good. Little Miss on the front page of the Drudge Report. What? I know. It's a little weird. Is, is that, admit it. That's the best thing that's ever happened to you. It's it's a little freakish because honestly the people who have contacted me because of that it it's it's getting out of control now. I, a, I like a college boyfriend that I haven't talked to in I don't know a, a very very long time or no twelve years. Now see now you're a player now and now he knows what he passed up. What's going on? Yeah, it's very and I I, I kind of as usual inappropriate expression on my face. Uh, no, I, I would see and I would disagree. I, I think they? you look you look perfectly lovely. Oh, good, good. Well, see, I, I, it cracks me up because everyone was really, really serious, and you know, I'm, we're chasing him. I'm, no, you I, look I'm like asking a... him question after question. And he's uh, not going to answer. Me. He's not answering them, and so I, I, and I just at that point, I just start 
laughing is the whole thing was just really absurd and, and kind of hilarious to me. Now, now if, for those who don't know what we're talking about, we mentioned this earlier on. If you go to DrudgeReport.com, uh, you're going to see um, a picture of Roland, uh, is it Burris or Burris? Burris. Yeah, that's it. I don't know where you accent the word. but um, And so I guess they, I mean, we sort of knew this was going to happen. Right. But but right. they said, like, we're not we're not going to see you because the Secretary of State hasn't certified you or whatever. And, but right. there was some, for some reason, I guess he felt compelled to go and officially be turned away. Which maybe that was the whole point is, I mean, it was the whole thing supposed to happen as some sort of political theater. And for what reason? Yeah, I think so. I think I think he realizes that um, he's got some support out there around the country that some people feel that uh, the the Democrats are being political, that everyone's being political and all the uh, folks that have been in office forever uh, don't really have a right to turn this guy away, even if, you know, his governor is found guilty or is, you know, everyone sees him as a corrupt guy you know, whatever, he's charged with trying to sell this Senate seat, but Blagojevich just a brilliant strategy, picking a guy uh, that seems pretty likable, that has a huge, very long political pedigree, and a lot of people in the country are kind of now mad at the people in the Senate. Who do you guys think you are rejecting right. uh, the man that the people of Illinois or the one guy in Illinois <laughs> has chosen? So I, I think, yeah, I think I think that that photo on the Drudge Report, I'm sure he his people love it, love that he is right there and with Harry Reid giving him the hand. He's wearing a pretty great friend. power suit, too, I have to say. He looks yeah. very uh, he looks very official. I was, you know, I was disappointed because in, in Burris's appearances in the last couple of days, he, he seems kind of really jovial and, you know, kind of almost like a, a jokester in a little bit of a way, very engaging. And he was Mr. Serious, Serious Business as he walked in. But the whole scene was just so ridiculous. And it was, you can't, it's really hard to explain how just this crush of reporters was running between the two different entrances to try and figure out where he was coming in. And then, and then shortly after that photo was taken, he gets on the elevator they're holding for him, uh-huh. and it, right around the corner you have to run up the stairs. And so, like, there are a whole bunch of us just running up the stairs to try and beat the elevator, and the whole thing was hilarious. I mean, it really – so if you go to DrudgeReport.com, uh, you're going to see uh, on the right, you will see uh, Burris surrounded by reporters, and then to his – I guess to his left, but, but on, the, on the furthest right, you're going to see Lisa Desjardins wearing what Sarah Dillon described as a very cute hat. Oh, I so. love your hat. So well done. But here's the thing about your expression in the, in the photo. I really do like it uh, because everybody else, as you said, seems very dour and sort of solemn about it. But you, you, you know, you're just you got like you got spunk in this photograph. <laughs> you know what it is? It's like you're the cub reporter with the press pass, putting the brim of your fedora out, looking for the big scoop. Hey, Mister. Hey. Totally, exactly, Mister. Common for common for the evening edition, Mister. Which is really is that Dana Bash on the other side of him? That is that Dana. Yeah, we double teamed him. We didn't even realize that was going on, but yeah. So it's, I mean, it really is, it's quite a picture. So, and uh, you will be happy to know that by the time, I mean, I hadn't even, I uh, saw it, but by the time I actually was able to sort of sit down and look at it and download it, so many people had already told me about it or, or sent Jeez, it to me themselves. Really? I mean, really, I came in today and there was like a big... I'm on radio. I'm amazed that people would recognize my photo. Now, Lisa Desjardins, no, come serious. on. You were on the Situation Room. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. That's right. Oh, absolutely. I should say a couple of weeks ago, and I wouldn't. And for some reason, those weasels at CNN don't choose to. to I mean, Jesus, how many times a day do we need to see Larry King, uh, you know, asking <laughs> Liz Taylor some question about Cleopatra? Move on. And yet, meanwhile, the Situation Room, in which you were actually an in studio, like I wasn't even on the phone, like you were there in studio for the Situation Room. I found out about it, like several of our listeners, like, OMG, Lisa Desjardins is in the Situation Room right now. And then I tried to do the online scheduling with my TiVo, and I wasn't able to do it and then i got home and they weren't going to replay it so yeah. i'm just saying 
I'm just saying I, I believe that I your star know. is uh, your star is ascendant, Lisa. I don't know. We we do well on the holiday breaks in radio <laughs> when everybody else is on vacation. But it was still cool. It was cool because I had a good story. So what you really need is for like some sort of, sort of like a super flu uh, to sweep through the capital where everybody else is homesick. Then you can then it's like a coup. It is terrible. There's a, there are many days that I am, and this happened almost all last week, where, where um, when Congress is gone, and I will be one of two people in the entire building practically, yeah. and, and certainly one of maybe two reporters that are up here. And it's, I'm always hoping that you know something really dramatic. I'm hoping that assassins somehow make their way into the Capitol and are wow. around. I mean, theoretically speaking. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> You know, and and there's nobody here but me, so I hide under my desk and I've got my microphone. It's this horrible, horrible thing that I that I get in my head because there's there's no one here, a lot of the times. Let me ask you this: back yeah. on this business of hoping for assassins at the Capitol, uh, right. do you plan out escape routes or do you plan like oh, yeah. what would you do? I mean, like, it, well, I'm, I'm assuming you have some sort of special hotline number for like. Whatever for like for the, the new you know for like like for, the, for the, like the CNN news desk or whatever so like who would you who would be your first call what do you do right well I I you know it depends it, the weird thing I really have thought this far way farther than I should have that it depends on what time we are in the hour if we're coming up on either the top of the hour or the bottom of the hour and I have just been made aware of assassins in the building uh-huh. um, I would call see I would hit my uh, you know dial in my audio line to uh, CNN radio. So that radio could break the story and have me on during, like, their little five minutes that they're live. I appreciate your loyalty there. Yeah, you know, but then any other time in the hour, I'm, I'm calling uh, basically the, the D.C. news desk, and they'd throw me on TV, I would guess. And turn, I'm turning off all my lights, and I'm hiding under my desk behind my backpack. Don't, you know, if this happens, don't rebroadcast this. All right. All right. So there you go. So And then they would put, the, like, the file photo up of you, and it would be like, you know, Lisa Desjardins, and then it would be currently under desk. Right. Right, or you guys would know in Portland. Portland would know exactly. No one else would know, but you guys would know where I was. Yeah, you could be I'm doing back uh, under her desk. Maybe you could be multitasking. You're doing some sort of a Twitter feed, uh, you know, at the uh, same. Yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I don't know. I think right. We're hardcore. We're too Twittery a little. I, uh, you know, can I tell you this? Just as no, otherwise, I, I have to make a one comment only. Or I'm going to get real sidetracked about this. I, I have resisted it, like the Twitter thing, just like I've resisted Facebook so far. Not right. because I'm a luddite or because I'm trying to be curmudgeonly or like some get off my lawn old guy about it, but just. At a certain point, it's just become it's going to become too many plates to spin. You know what I mean? That's what I feel like too. I mean, I feel like it's got there's there's moments where it is awesome, you know, but it it get it just kind of just easily gets gets just big messy goo. Sarah and I were uh, Sarah and I were talking about um, about the, the dating scene. I don't know. I guess last week or something. We were because we had a, there was a, a friend of ours who was in the studio who was going having some man troubles, and we were talking about people that we were talking about people that you. You're not really actively seeing, but you don't want to, like, burn any bridges with them. Ah. And guys are especially notorious for this because, you know, you never know when it's, like, going to be 2 a.m. and nobody else is home. And so, you know, you guys try to sort of keep, like, as many sort of, uh, you know, as many options open as possible. Keeping it real, yeah. I'm just saying, I mean, look, I mean, I'm just confirming that you already know. Um, And so Sarah and I were were talking about this. And Sarah has uh, some what we might call masculine traits in terms of dating. We've talked about this. She's a kind of a guy in some ways. But she was not even just like it's. I can't even imagine. I mean, I you know, I mean, I'm I'm like married and lame and whatever. But I can't even imagine what it's like now because I mean, you know, because you're having to call people right. and text people and MySpace people and Facebook people. Uh, you know, you can text someone back. That can be a thing. Well, yeah, it's really well. And then it's a thing of like, well, and if they send you a text, like, do you respond? I mean, all of those old. I mean, 
Here's the when I was uh you know when I was a young a young and I was never really swinging but when I was like a you know like a younger single man I remember when that uh, when the movie Swingers came out oh yeah with John Favreau and, and Vince Vaughn and there was that whole now famous sequence where they're talking about you never call a chick back until after two days which is sort of the first time that that had been codified right and then it, then it like everybody every sitcom everybody did it right right and then but then it was like almost and I think I speak for a lot of guys here. And we've gotten completely off the point after me saying it was only going to be one minor comment that um, after the movie Swingers came out, then it's like I feel like a lot of guys and probably not a few women felt like they had to modify their strategy because they didn't want to look as though they were operating off the Swingers playbook. Because they didn't want a woman to go, oh, come on, you're just doing that Swingers thing of waiting two days to call. So guys then had to do like this weird counter-programming. God damn it sucks being single. I'm so glad that I'm... No offense. Thanks, sir. I'm just saying... Um, Anywho, uh, but what was my point? Um, and so forth, and something or other. Oh, but anyway, so but now there's all the all these sort of ancillary things you got to kind of juggle. Uh, you know, you only had to keep track of when to call a woman back. You know, back in 1996. But now, for every, you know, for all the media, especially here's the other thing, especially now with so many forms of communication being sort of two way in the sense that if you send someone a MySpace message, you can see if they've read it. That's the thing. Oh, yeah, you're right. You know, if you send somebody a MySpace message and they read it and then don't respond back, you know that you're just being ignored. You know, I've been getting more often in my email as well, um, you know, so-and-so has requested a receipt immediately upon oh, you, that when you open this email. Yeah, I don't care so for like, that. You know, and then I look at their next, their email, you know, that those people, when they email me, I'm like, I'm not opening that. Right, right, totally, because you know it's a booby trap. <laughs> yes, exactly. Once you do it, you are snared, and then you are obligated to respond, or you're going to look like an ass. Exactly. I mean, it just becomes Wait this, on that one. I mean, it, you know, and thank God there isn't that for voicemail, at least to the best of my knowledge, but who knows, maybe not there yet. is, so... That's right. All right. Well, and any, oh, just one one final note here. Just my absolute final note, then I will actually ask you quickly about some news stories okay. so that we can try to pretend that we're doing our jobs here. Although you have been on the front page of the Drudge Report today. You can phone it in quite literally Whatever. for the rest of the day. <laughs> um, your, your, your job is done. Um, I, I have to uh, – a lot of people heard me talk about this today. Just over the holidays, I uh, I upgraded to uh, to a MacBook. I got a, I got a Mac for the first time. Oh, no kidding. Yeah, and uh, and it's exceptional, by the way. You it love is. it? Oh, I do. Great. I do. And, 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 and it's not like I've been anti-Mac or anti-Apple. I've always said that they make fantastic products, and Steve right. Jobs is a true hero of mine. But I, I resisted for a long time. You know, part of the reason was sort of technical, that there was not a way to run a lot of the applications I needed, which they've solved. And, and part of it was that I just didn't want to go to a Mac store and just be groped by a bunch of touchy-feely, you know, <laughs> like, like Abercrombie hippies. Um, but I, I finally just resisted, and I had budgeted for it. Because the thing about, the thing about Macs that people say that is true is, Good God Almighty, they're expensive. I mean, it really is like it's like you're buying something well, made out of which which level you get. But yeah, I mean, there's yeah. I mean, it's like you can get a Windows uh, laptop for like four dollars and like you know <laughs> some some box tops at this point. But um, but I budgeted for it and I finally I got the MacBook. The Mac, you know what Apple does better than almost anybody else except for TiVo. TiVo is this way as well. You know what Mac does and Apple does? They come up with little features that aren't make or break features, but they are small features for the device where as soon as you learn of the feature's existence, you say to yourself, oh, that's a great idea. Why didn't I think about that? Yeah, yeah. Here's two small examples of Apple coming up with brilliant features that in a retrospect seem obvious and you don't know how you sort of got along without them. One is on the iPhone, your ability to view your voicemails uh, in other words, yeah, when, yeah, yeah. As, you know, visually, so you can decide which and ones to long. listen to. Right. Yeah, 
Right. You're like, well, so as you said, you know, you see a voicemail from some guy, and you're like, well, that's nine minutes long, and it was a day ago. I'm going to skip that one and listen to the next one. You know, whereas like with everybody else, I have to sit through all the stupid instruction, press one to keep, nine to delete, and you know, you're just pulling out your hair. Um, here's another thing they do, though. On the MacBook and the email program, there is the greatest little uh, gimmick that they have installed, where when you get junk mail or spam, rather than just hitting delete or like, you know, filter to my trash or whatever, there's a button you can press that will actually send back to the junk mailer a bounce message saying this message could not be delivered to the following recipient, Rick Emerson, um, or whatever. Wonderful. And so it gives them a fake undeliverable message. So presuming that it was sent from any kind of a functional email address, they get a message back uh, falsely saying that it couldn't be delivered, which in some cases leads them to take you off their spam list. Oh, that is great. That's what I'm saying. See, that's that really is, huh. that's one of Apple's big strengths, that and their proportionally spaced fonts. Um, okay, so just okay. real, real quickly. So, so anyway, so he gets, so he gets re rejected for this. But yeah. I mean, at some point they gotta have a senator, right? I mean, they can't like not have somebody there doing stuff. Yeah, at some point they've gotta have a senator. But you know, when, for example, if a senator dies in office, sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes they have a special election. Depends on what the state wants to do. Um, generally, it is a, a gubernatorial appointment. But yeah, they've gotta have somebody. But this is a pretty big mess because either the Democrats in the Senate change their mind, which Burris says he's, he's going to try and do. He's meeting with them tomorrow. Um, though it didn't sound like he had a really good plan for that. He really kind of said, we should hope to change their minds, you know, uh, or uh, he gets some help from the courts. And he and he, I, he may have a good case there. He may be able to force the Illinois Secretary of State to sign his certification and, and from there go to the Senate. But But then the Senate has the right to throw this all into committee and just, you know, delay as long as they want until there's a new governor in Illinois, if if that's what happens. So it's 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 a big mess, and it's not clear when Illinois is going to get its other senator. It was almost, it was kind of an offensive sort of like Dickens moment when he walked off the elevator to go, and he turned right to go into the place where they were going to reject his papers. He takes the right turn, and then this whole crowd that was walking next to Roland Burris uh, took a left turn, and those were all people going to a very nice reception with Illinois Senator Dick Durbin <laughs> to go like to celebrate wow. the opening of Congress. So the two Americas. It was yeah, it was pretty funny. It was it was interesting. But then of course we got we haven't even talked about how about Al Franken looks like he's going to be a senator. Uh, you know, here's how the about thing. It? it doesn't even have anything to do with ideology. I was just looking forward to not having to hear that whiny, sleepy, infantile voice of his uh, anymore. But I mean, you know. I haven't decided. Do you think he's going to be, is he going to be super friendly with the press, or is he going to just be like, I'm so much smarter than you, just leave me alone? Well, here's the thing about Al Franken is I don't think he can cover up that, that latter part of his personality. That's the thing. I think Al Franken is fundamentally, uh, he's fundamentally incapable uh, of just sort of covering up the fact that he believes himself to be smarter and funnier and brighter than everybody else on the planet. Yeah. I mean, that is part of what, and don't get me wrong, that is part of what I guess makes him or made him good as a comedy writer. Uh, you know, and he is responsible for some classic pieces of comedy. But he does just have... He is like the very embodiment, though, of just... And again, that sort of like very low-energy kind <laughs> of snooty smugness. And, you know, a wry sensibility does not always come across 
uh, verbally or visually as it does in the written sense. That's true. So I mean, uh, I do like. I mean, I feel like he is a different character than everybody else up here. So I like that. I mean, he's look. I mean, don't get me wrong. As you know, I'm for whatever makes uh, the political system either more chaotic or more interesting or more theatrical or all three. Oh, you know, we're all over the place. This reminds me, though, back to Burroughs very quickly. Yes, you would have loved. He has to, he walks out of the Capitol, he's been told to leave the Capitol, essentially, very nicely, and very sad, again, he walks out, he's got to have a news conference, it's raining, and the only place he can do it is across the street in a park, and in the rain, and, and his, his terrible microphone feed that was all shh, <laughs> couldn't hear him, in the rain, it, it was just sad. Outside, he's been kicked out of the Capitol. It's his best day ever. Yeah, it was really. All right. On that note, are you on tomorrow? I am. All right. Well, congratulations again on uh, your visage being visible uh, across this Play many splendid land of ours. So, Easy. all right. Enjoy your day. We'll talk to you soon. Look all out right. for assassins. Okay, it will. All right, there you go. Bye. Lisa Desjardins, ladies and gentlemen. All right. Wow. There's like five. I just wrote the funniest email about you and Lisa. Really? Mm-hmm. Pleased to be reading. Wait. Or wait, is it going to make me feel, Is it, am I going to be made uncomfortable by it? Yes. Okay, go ahead. Not sure if you guys have ever discussed this on the air, but is Rick totally in love with Lisa uh, Desjardins? The way he blurted out that he downloaded her pic to his hard drive so he would have it forever. It was just a little creepy. <laughs> <laughs> just checking Besho over. So I can touch it lovingly late at night with my fingers tracing the monitor. Um, the Well, I just didn't want it to vanish because Drudge sometimes updates his site. Uh, and then the picture's gone. I mean, that's a pretty cool thing, being on the front page of Drudge. That's a huge thing. I mean, Drudge is one of the most trafficked uh, sites on the Internet, and I think he is flat-out, hands-down, the most trafficked news site in the world, period. And also, I say, sounding more and more like I'm trying to rationalize the fact that I downloaded her picture so I could have it forever. Quit looking at me. Uh, you know, the thing about Drudge is, on Capitol Hill, especially in the world in which she travels, you know, in those circles... Drudge is it, man. I mean, he is like, he is the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So, nothing weird about it. Look over there. Sir. Welcome out to the Rick Emerson Show from New York City. You know, I, you know, if your picture was on Drudge, I'd download that as well. To keep it forever. To keep it forever. All right. Hello, uh, Steve Kastenbaum. How are you? How you doing? Pretty good. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to bring you in the middle of an awkward conversation just now. No, no. I'm, I'm actually looking up online because I'm not sure if Drudge is still the most visited news website anymore. I, I don't. I don't know if that was something that happened in the past. But what would possibly or, have surpassed him at this point? Oh, because for a while there, Yahoo News, believe it or not, worldwide really? had more hits because they run um, Associated Press stories and. Uh, in all of these countries where they only recently had ac- uh, ha- had received access to the internet, like like China, for instance, ah, all know, right. people get you know they open the browser, Yahoo News is there, and 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 they click on it and they get that. But then we surpassed at some point. I think CNN.com at some point had surpassed Yahoo News for one day hits from individuals or something like. I can't remember what the statistic was, but we had some stellar day someday. So, uh, but you're right. Drudge is a very heavily trafficked uh, website, and and as soon as Lisa's picture appeared there, the email started going yeah. around. <laughs> no, I mean by the time I was uh, sort of late getting to the office today because I was doing a doing a thing, and I got in and it was like I checked my uh, like a nerd check my BlackBerry, and as soon as I was able to check my email, it was just like stacks of of email from people uh, just saying oh, omg check check drudge it's lisa desjardin you know and it was just, and she said that she actually just people she hadn't heard from in like 10 years coming out of the woodwork so it is uh at least in the sort of you know in news circles drudge is 
You know, he's a man apart. He, he really is his own his own creature. Mark Halperin from ABC News wrote a great book called The Way to Win, uh, which is all about taking the White House in 2008. Which is, you know, some of it is some of it is now dated. Some of it's pretty timeless. But he actually has an entire chapter about the Drudge Effect, and he, you know, he's not talking about the Drudge Effect as a microcosm for something else. He's literally only talking about Drudge and how an item being placed on the Drudge Report, you know, that that is like the that is the fastest way to inject news into the body politic. Uh, is by putting it on the front page of Drudge. And that's just, it really is a strange, you know, it's a strange phenomenon. Uh, he's just some dude working in his, you know, in his underwear in Boca Raton, uh, you know, and then he can have these sort of repercussions. Let me say this great thing about CNN.com, though. You know what's great about CNN.com that is not okay. great about Drudge or Yahoo? Okay, I'll, I'll take the compliment. Let's hear it. Is that you all don't do that stupid auto-refresh thing that irritates the hell out of me. Uh, oh. I cannot tell you how many times I'm at Yahoo News or at Drudge, and I'm trying to, like, scroll down and read all the stories and kind of open in new tabs, you know, the things that I want to be reading. And then as I'm, like, halfway down the page, it, it suddenly goes blank because the page is auto-refreshing, which they will lie to you. See, they'll, they'll lie to you. They'll say, no, 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 that's just so we can have the most up-to-date content, which is really not why it's happening. That's re- not why it happens at all. It's to drive right. up hit counts. It's hit counts. Yeah. Yeah. Every time that page recycles, that means, you know, they can tell... Uh, the the sales folks that uh, look we have this many page views totally yeah and so but but he spawned all the political blogs you know there's the CNN political ticker there's uh, Politico dot com and uh, Daily Coast and Huffington Post and you know he was the first yeah I have to tell you there's some of those I can't even I can't even read I'm not gonna get them the whole thing but that like the Huffington Post I just uh, it's like it's like you start to read the Huffington Post, and it's like you can hear a drum circle, you know, somewhere. You know what I mean? It's like you're just reading it, and you can hear the sound of a thousand Priuses being fired up somewhere. And it's just, yeah, I just, I can't, I can't abide that. It's like, it's like, it's, it's, it's like I get about three articles deep in the Huffington Post, and it's like my mouth is filled with the taste of tofu. <laughs> uh, let's see. Well, uh, just a couple, a couple things to talk about uh, here, and then I will end this all with a question for you. So. It's been, I mean, just a, this is last month has just been a fantastic month for scandal. Um, I mean, not just the Blagojevich guy, which is now the, the Boris thing, uh, you know, but, but this, uh, you know, we've got this, this uh, Bernard Madoff guy who, first of all, I know that didn't somebody steal something from him? Didn't somebody steal, like, his gate or, like, his front porch or something? You know what I'm talking about? I, don't, I, I didn't hear that. I, I mean, he lives in a Tony Upper East Side of Manhattan apartment. Uh, you know, one of those places, you know, that's near right. Fifth Avenue and then costs uh, an arm and a leg to live in. And uh, but um, but but you heard what happened with him, and, and they're trying to revoke his bail, right? No, no, I did not know that. Oh, this is this is hilarious. So the guy's under house arrest, and uh, he's got all sorts of restrictions placed upon him as he awaits trial. And the feds drag him back into court, and they have a bail hearing this week. They want his bail revoked. They want him behind bars because they claim he was mailing pieces of expensive jewelry to family members and a family friend to sort of protect them because any any assets that he still has uh, can possibly be used to um, you know, sort of pay back the people who were victims of the Ponzi scam, right, Ponzi scheme. So... His lawyer says he was just mailing family heirlooms uh, to other family members, but the the feds say like one item, one piece of jewelry was worth a million dollars, and they're saying you know, that he was trying to protect certain assets and hide them and whatever. So they drag him back into court, and they uh, want his bail revoked. They say he violated the bail. The judge is going to rule on Friday whether uh, Madoff will have to trade off. Uh-huh. So 
sorry, I couldn't resist that. Uh-huh. Uh, we'll have to, you know, give up his Upper East Side uh, Tony apartment for a jail cell. I mean, doesn't it almost? I mean, look, if one one should not break the law. Laws are to be, uh, you know, obeyed and so forth. And it's, uh, you know, it's unethical and immoral and, and whatnot. But in a way, don't you almost? I mean, it's it's almost kind of impressive. These guys who, and I know they're all allegations at this point, but this guy was. You know, just from all from all outward appearances, just seems to be some weird sort of Lex Luthor, you know, of the financial world. He just seems to be some brainiac master criminal who was sort of undone, of course, as they always, as they always are at the end, by his own greed and hubris. But, I mean, it it really does, it's sort of like, you know, you think about like a Mozart or a Salieri who, instead of creating, you know, orchestral compositions, just decided to scam everybody he knew out of a zillion dollars. When they look at these Ponzi schemes... Uh, one thing that they find is that they don't often start as Ponzi schemes, that these investors truly believe that they can make people money, and, and very often they start off actually making money, but then they start to lose some of the, some of the momentum, and, and, and they actually start to wind up uh, in the red a little bit. So, so that's when they start you know, padding the books and, and start getting people in and, and using other people's funds to pay off uh, original investors, and that's when they get into trouble. So... You know, it's it's interesting how this one evolved, and I think we're going to learn a lot more about it. So uh, as as we get closer to uh, a try, the possibility of a trial. All right, as we wrap this up, I got a great idea for a sidebar piece for you. Okay. And I know that everybody at CNN, don't lie to me, I know that everybody dreads that phrase now. I know you all probably have meetings where my name comes up and you're like, oh, God, have you that thing where Emerson tries to tell you, I get a great article for a side a piece for a sidebar article for you. And then, you know, and then everybody at the table groans and they go, oh, God. And then, you know, Lisa says, like, throws down a pencil and goes to get water out of the water cooler, cursing my name the whole time because I'm constantly shoving ideas onto, uh, onto, onto you all, ideas that you probably don't want to hear and will never execute. So that's fine. I'm, I'm zen with that. Um, I can for... honestly say that that has never happened. All right. I'm just, I'm just saying. You think a lot of yourself, Rick. I'm just noting that. I mean, look, Rick Emerson gives. I mean, it is sort of like, uh, you know, you know what I am. Uh, I'm, uh, I'm a bit like Jesus in this way, Sarah. Oh, sweet Lord. In that I am taking, I am taking, you know, the 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 small bounty of news uh, with which I am presented in the prep sheet, and I am creating it into many loaves and fishes of sidebar articles with which to feed uh, the news-hungry multitudes. You are like Jesus, right? That's right. That's exactly... That's going to be our new uh, our new imaging statement. Um, but anyway, so here's a great idea, and then I'll let you go. So you're talking about this Ponzi scheme, and you know, you have, you know these often start as things because a guy really does believe that he can make people money somehow. So you know what somebody should do? Not a reality show as such, like on VH1, because that's probably impractical, and the logistics and legalities of it might not work. But, you know, you should do, I hate to call it a reality show, but somebody at CNN, and I think it, it ought to be you because you do so much of the financial discussion here and you're covering this Ponzi scheme, you want to do sort of a mini reality show, Steve, where what you do is, I mean, you've seen, I mean, they must have these ads in New York, too, these, these late-night ads where it's like some schlub, and he's standing on a beach, and he's surrounded by a bunch of big-boobed women in bikinis, and he's going... You know, just five years ago, I was $3 million in debt. Now I am living on my own island surrounded by trashy women with my patented cash flow system. You can do this. It's honestly just this simple. And he's just some some schmuck, like trying to trying to get you know trying to weasel money out of you for, with this like this sort of fiction that you're somehow going to be a billionaire, like with no training and in just a few hours a week, right? Yeah. So you, everybody sees these ads, and clearly there must be people who see. I mean, they wouldn't run the ads like you know they've been doing these ads for decades. They wouldn't keep running them if people didn't keep going. 
Well, that sounds like a great idea. How, what could go wrong? And then they pick up the phone and they call. They go, I want to, uh, I want to get me some of that money and women. What do I do? You know. And so you get these these idiots who call up and they take, you know, they they, they you know they, they get they get swindled into these weird schemes. So what you ought to do, you ought to do a sort of a mini like radio version of a reality show where you find somebody or a few somebodies who actually respond to these weird get get rich quick schemes. And you go in maybe, you know, unbiased, maybe no no uh, predetermined conclusions, and you just follow them as they follow all the steps of this weird late-night 1-800-get-rich-quick get scheme and just see what happens. You know, I, I like that. What? I don't, all of a sudden, I'm hearing music behind I don't know where that came from. Are you still there? I'm still here. All right. Are you hearing it right now? Yeah. Sarah, are we somehow feeding music down the phone? Um, wait, how about right? now? That's really weird. It's definitely coming from you because when I lower Can you your hear volume, it now? Nope, it's gone. All right, yeah. okay, there we go. I think we were inadvertently feeding a satellite channel down the board. Sorry about there that. There you go. But I, I like the idea, and I and I want to follow one of the, I would follow one of the people who buys into that whole, let me show you how to buy property with no money Seriously, down. you don't need to have good credit. You don't need to have any money at all. You can buy property. You can be living your dream of financial independence within five years. That guy. Yeah, I bought this property with nothing. Totally. So nothing. You, all you do is you just find somebody who has responded to one of those ads, and again, you don't uh, you don't have any sort of pre you know predetermined uh, notions in your head about how it's going to turn out, and you just sort of follow them and document what happens because, and you can tie it all into this like Bernard Madoff guy and these these Ponzi schemes. I like it, and uh. then uh, and we could also follow um, somebody who who buys into that whole, you know, you owe. Thousands of dollars in back taxes. I'll get you uh, your tax bill reduced to where you're paying pennies on the dollar. Uh-huh. I like uh, that one. All right. Well, there you go. That's uh, my idea free from me to you, Steve. Thank you. All right. On that note, are you on tomorrow, sir? Yes, I am. All right. We will uh, have speaks with you then. Until then, enjoy your day. So long. Thank you, Steve Kastenbaum. All right. There you go. When we get back, somebody who wants to, quote, talk about stuff and things. All right. Well, we might hold you to things, but uh, all right. Uh, around the corner, Todd told us as well. Uh, later on, Katie Darrell from TMZ. The greatest songs ever made. More of your phone calls, Geek Watch, Taser Watch, and all that. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Back after this. that sometimes seem far beyond us are always possible. Dedication and belief in ourselves and the lives of others will bring them closer. You know, I forgot what I was reading like halfway through that I couldn't recite I, it I didn't even know what you just said. It's a motivational... First of all, Americans don't like anything motivating if it's like more than five or six words long. I mean, really, our motivation needs to be sort of... Really, I come the kind of uh, from the, the Vince Lombardi school of, uh, of motivation. This is... No, this one is called Reach for the Sky. First of all, once something starts being lolcatted online, it seems like really its expiration date has passed. It's just time to move on. And you do have to wonder: Has anybody ever worked at a company that actually that actually did hang these motivational posters? I there? thought that there were some of them at Fisher. See, maybe. I think like in the in 
Was the it, I don't, th- but I don't think they were actual like these. Yeah, you know, everybody knows the motivational posters I'm talking about, where it's like a low-grade Ansel Adams photo, and then below it, it has like a single word, and it says like you know motivation or whatever, and and then there's just some stupid quote underneath it. You know, it's like some weird Reader's Digest sort of you know, like some fortune cookie wisdom underneath that or something. And I mean, they're here. I mean, okay, Sarah, let me ask you this: this motivational poster, the one that I just read, "Reach for the Sky." Where the text reads, again, it's a picture. This is really what we're talking about here. The, the, motivation, the motivation here is like to create motivational posters. Because this, this one, which is, let's see, this is 24 inches by 30 inches, like 2 by 3, basically. It says, reach for the sky, picture of a tree, like with a sunset behind it. And it says... What does that have to do with it? I have no idea. And it says, distant dreams that sometimes seem far beyond us are always possible. Dedication and belief in ourselves and the lives of others will bring them closer. How much would you expect to pay for that motivational poster? Um, Rick Emerson, I'm going to say uh, $49.95. $59. Oh. Right there. $59. Is it framed? I, you know, I don't believe that they're framed. No. I think you're basically, I think you're just paying for the sentiment. So, all right. Now, at Fisher, they had one that said, uh, the only one I can remember at Fisher was, and it wasn't even a motivational poster. It was the one that said, like, uh, it, it said, people are our most important asset right there in the lobby, right next to those weird purple and yellow chairs that I always wanted to steal. Mm. All right. I never did. Even when, you know, even after we got sold to Intercom, I never stole those. And I, I was, chairs from Fisher. Really? Mm-hmm. They're not the ones from the lobby, are they? No, but they're the, uh, they're the, uh, kitchen chairs. They're the black ones with like the holes Oh, them. yeah. Those were quite nice. They were very nice. Uh, you know, all I got was a turntable. And that's because it was in a big pile of crap that was going to the going to the dump. So I just I took that. All right. Uh, we'll get uh, news here in a moment. It's 503-733-2970. 503-733-2970. Still to come later on the day, the greatest songs ever made. Uh, we'll have Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, Taser Watch, Job Watch, all of that. Let's get to some of these phone calls, shall we? Hello, sir or madam, as the case may be. You're on the Rick Emerson Radio Program. Please now to grace us with your wit and wisdom. Why, hello, Rick. This is Jesse, hello. the formerly unemployed guy that you met at the uh, screen for Indiana Jones. Indiana um, Jones, formerly, wait, no, formerly unemployed, so you have found work. Uh, yes, I have, as a matter of fact. I'm on, I think I'm on my third job. But wait, is your third job since the Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull screening? That is, that is correct, yes. yes. Now, uh... At a certain point, one might ask, maybe it's not them, maybe it's you, sir. Um, it might be, but it, the funny thing is, the job that I'm at now, mm-hmm. um, it, it's very interesting that you talk about your new Macintosh. Um, I do phone tech support for Apple. Really? I do. First of all, it wouldn't seem to me that uh, that tech support for Apple would... It doesn't seem like you would even really need that all that much. Do you know what I mean? Well, uh, if you look at it this way, there's thousands and thousands and thousands of Apple computers. Um, it's a fantastic product, but stuff goes wrong. So you're just saying the law of averages is that if you have thousands of anything, no matter how easy it is, I mean, really, it could be, literally, it could be like an abacus. But, I mean, if you have Uh, a billion of them, and if just half of 1% of people need help with it, then that's going to be a job for you for life. And that's correct. Uh And there are people that, even though it's supposedly easy and intuitive to use, uh, just like me, I I work for Apple CPU tech support, Mm -hmm. but I'm a happy PC user. I have a Windows machine at home. I work on Apple's at work. Uh... You know, but the switch over from the PC to the Apple can be nightmarish. It drove me crazy for two weeks. I will tell you this, that uh, I got my MacBook, with which I am exceedingly happy, by the way. And I've and here's the other thing. Even though I've used Apple products in the past, and I mean, and again, I'm not, you know, I haven't been an Apple hater. I've just sort of resisted for a lot of reasons. Oh, sure. But even though it's been a gradual transition for me from Windows to Mac, having the MacBook, I have, uh, it's just... It's like you just can't really, you can't stop yourself from having that, like, the enthusiasm of the recent convert. 
And so, you know, so I was sitting at home and I'm typing away on the couch last night answering my email. And I think in the space of about 30 seconds, I made like nine different observations to my wife about how great it was. All of them... All of them making me sound like some weird Christopher Lowell of the computing world where she's walking by the couch and I'm going, these keys make the most satisfying sound when I type. Listen to this. Well, they really do. And if you use the, uh, you know, I'm actually on a uh, an iMac desktop at work. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I'm on that all day. And the, the keyboard is fantastic. It's yeah, one of those really aluminum is. ones with the really uh, the, the really short keys that are on there. It's mm-hmm. not those big clunky things. Yeah. Dude, it's it's fantastic. Here's the other thing. This, this, here's another thing that occurred to me while I was using my Mac. I was, and I was, this occurred to me while I was typing a blog entry the other day, and I think the thought actually just made it into the blog posting. If you read my most recent blog posting, about halfway through, for no readily apparent reason, I think I just interject the phrase, the fonts on this Mac look fantastic. Yes, I'm, you do. I, I chuckled at that. Okay, and final observation about <laughs> oh. this, because we're already like nine hours behind with everything. Final oh, observation. And, and I'm not going to talk anymore about that after the thing. I did one more thing to make. So I, so I put on my blog that I purchased a MacBook. Somebody else here at work, uh, who I will not identify, that <laughs> boy, uh, sent me an email this morning. This is the effect that certain things like Macs or porn uh, have on guys, where it's like, the, he sends me this email, and he's like, hey, so... Uh, you know, I'm on this Mac now, too, so if you ever want to uh, come by and just, uh, you know, talk about Mac stuff, maybe, uh, you know, I'm around, you're around. I mean, hey, no sure. big deal. I mean, you know, it's uh, if you'd rather use your Mac by yourself, I understand. I don't want to cross any boundary, but maybe, you know, uh-huh. if you don't mind talking about Mac with another guy in the room, maybe we could do that. And I'm just like, yeah, no, it's funny. It, you know, last thing is that, yeah, when you call the... Uh the, the Apple Care number for when you have issues with your Mac. Uh-huh. Uh, I'm on that that bottom tier that you know, I'm one of those people that you get, and one of our offices is here in Portland, Oregon. What so. is the most frequently asked question at Mac Tech Support? Um, the most frequently is asked... it something about like you know this is showing up in alabaster ivory, but I really want more of an eggshell cream well, color. Okay, about my office in general. When I first went in, you know, the guy said, "Okay, let's go up and let's go look at where the uh, at where the, the tech support guys are." Mm-hmm. And I and literally in my head as we're walking up the stairs, I started to laugh. And Greg looked at me and said, "What?" I said, "Well, you know, as I'm walking up here, I'm expecting to hear like wind chimes and guys sitting at totally. their desks with their legs crossed, right. you know, and they, and their fingers steepled in front of them, looking, you know, in, in concentration." And just a lot of people in black. Turtlenecks floating like the Oracle holding up a spoon. Absolutely. We're so. making a new seafoam uh, green boy. apple case. Yeah. yeah. Right. Anyway, uh, completely across from that, uh, yes. it's fantastic to hear Lisa think that she has an escape plan or a, a plan to deal with <laughs> assassins at the Capitol. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we heard from somebody uh, who I will not identify who says that he actually, when he is at church, uh, actually has fantasies wherein. I swear to God, wherein gunmen storm the church and he has to save the day. So there you go. That's frightening. Hey, uh, one last thing. Uh, I I signed up for a free uh, Netflix thing for my Xbox 360. Dude, it is the most fantastic thing I've ever done. Oh, I know. No, trust me. I I was already watching. It's amazing. Oh, hey, hey, last. No, no. Done. Dude. Boy, wow. All right. Thank you, but no. Got to go. And give an inch and wow. Wow. Jesus. You know, he suckered me in with the Mac talk. That was the thing. And then before I knew it, he was like, and then... Don't be one of those people. Furthermore, let me read to you a lengthy footnote from page 742 of uh, Richard McAllister's groundbreaking work on dirt. All right. Uh, if you're on hold, I apologize. That guy ate, ate up like nine hours of, of time here. So like four phone calls. We'll, uh, if you're on, uh, Kevin, Steve, et al., if you're on uh, hold, we'll, we'll get to y'all in just, just a few. Let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson radio program. Hello, Todd Tulsis. How are you today? Oh, I'm fine, Rick Emerson. How are you? I am. Uh, I'm fantabulous. Thank and howdy to Sarah X. Dillon. Hello, how are Todd. You? Good but to that... see both of you again. So it's you Great know, to see you. I actually told Sarah that we heard back from a couple folks who were like, hey, had a good time. We'd like to do it again, which, I mean, I don't mean to, to, to disparage our own greatness, but I mean, it was sort of, 
it did sort of surprise me. Like I, like as people were, you know, when people come in and they, you know, people who don't know, we, you know, Tim Riley is, you know, was, was laid off. He's not with CBS Radio at the moment. Off media professional. And so we're having, you know, other laid off media professionals kind of into, uh, you know, to to. Uh, he has um he has unique shoes that are difficult to fill. But you know, people come in and like lend a hand with the news. And so as we would sort of, you know, end the day with people, I'd say, hey, that was great. Love to have you back. And everybody kind of goes, yeah, that's great. You have to come back at some point. And I always just sort of assume that they're just lying, you know, just so they can get out of the studio without any sort of awkwardness. But then here you are back again. Oh, I'm just trying to sound, you know, uh, so much not like, you know, the uh, the girl you know, or the guy who doesn't have a date on Saturday night. You know, my <laughs> dance card is so empty. I'm trying not to, you know, I get the midnight phone call from Rick Emerson last night. And, you know, did you booty call him Rick Emerson? <laughs> yes, I did, Sarah. <laughs> well, because there was somebody who was supposed to be here today, and that person said, oh, I'm sorry, I, act- I didn't check my schedule. I realize I have a thing I have to go to today. So uh, somebody who shall remain nameless. And I'm trying to sound... Fail. I'm trying to sound not too desperate on the phone. Why, let me check my calendar. (laughs) (laughs) And then just the sound of tumbleweeds blowing across the screen. Well, I think I can squeeze it in for a couple of hours today. I can make some time for you whenever. Yes. Let me know. (laughs) Of course I can. Well, you were a big hit with the audience last time, so we're glad you're back. I'm glad to be here. Uh, By the way, if if Todd's uh, voice sounds familiar to you, it's because you were the voice of the Tom Hartman show. on. Now, were you the voice of... And California Raisins. And the California Raisins. You were Rudy Right. I was, I was Rudy Begaman, the yeah. manager of the California Raisins, who wasn't always seen in the commercials for the California Raisins, which are, which are perhaps the best known. Sort of the shemp of the California yeah, Raisins I world. I, I hate to say I might be the curly Joe of the California <laughs> Raisins curly world. Curly Joe? I know. But uh, I was their manager, which yeah, and, uh, their manager, Rudy Begaman, was seen in a couple of half-hour Raisin specials, which were broadcast on were you in the Christmas? Uh, were you in the Christmas special for the California Raisins? I was raisins? not in the Christmas... Uh, well, the, the Raisins... You know, if I don't remember them being in the Christmas special. I was in the first two raisin specials, which were Meet the Raisins and the Raisins Sold Out. Right. And uh, so, and, and Rudy had you know big parts in, in both of those. He's the one who drove them to their recording studio, only to find out that it's a it's an abandoned gas station. And the raisins jump off the truck and they say, "What what kind of place is this?" He says, "It's it's a garage. All the great bands got started for in a garage, didn't they?" Excellent. So yeah, uh, and one of them says, "Yeah, that's where we got our breaks." You know. So, you know, it's just that we live in the weirdest country on earth. We a bunch of singing dried grapes can yeah. get on television and sell like a billion records. The '80s were an odd time; they really were. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. Um, but so were you the voice of of just Tom Hartman's local show or his national show as well? Well, I did the national imaging for Tom Hartman's okay. show, so I was uh, sort of uh, the affiliates around the country that picked up the Tom Hartman show. I was the guy who said, "Tom Hartman today." At noon. Wow. On Air America Radio. You know, that's say this. Say, uh, <laughs> are we going to start this again? Yes, <laughs> we are, Sarah. Say this. Say, Tom Hartman is covered with an itchy, scaly rash. Tom Hartman is covered with an itchy, scaly, painful rash. This is the best day of my life. Because <laughs> uh, we didn't really ring this for every drop that it was worth last time. So I just, I just lost another friend. <laughs> buck, buckle, welcome to my world. Uh, you know, this is, uh, all right. So um, I don't even have voicemail at this point because what? No one's calling me back. What is the? What yep. is the, What is the point? So, all right, ladies and gentlemen, shall we uh, roll the news hour, Sarah Dillon? Oh yes, indeed. All right, let us make our well, now from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland. This is the news, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages. Todd Tulsis. Thank you, Rick Emerson. Good afternoon, everybody. Al Franken, the comedian turned Democratic pundit turned politician, won November's election for the U.S. Senate by 225 votes. 
Out of the 2.9 million casts, according to the finally completed recount results certified Monday by the state's independent canvassing board, but even as the board members were leaving the state office building across the street from the Capitol, Franken's opponent, Republican incumbent Norm, Norm Coleman, said that his lawyers would challenge the recount in court. But so this isn't like the actual final... This is the final. I can, but, it's, but, it's, but it's clearly... Like, I can, there is nothing left to count. <laughs> there is nothing more... There is no, but you know, but of course, one of his lawyers, Tony Trimble, said the process. Tony Trimble? That's his name. The Tony process- Trimble sounds like some sort of like, Tony Trimble sounds like a Parkinson's like mascot or somebody. Who, <laughs> hey, kids, I'm Tony Trimble, here to clear up misconceptions about Parkinson's. Hi, <laughs> kids. It's Tony Trimble here. I'm oh, sorry. Sorry. The process isn't at an that. end. It's now just the beginning, said Trimble, the lawyer for Coleman. We will contest the results. But I, I didn't it used to. I mean, look, I hate to sound like an old guy, but didn't it used to be that like you'd like you get the number of votes and then you became a senator. Oh, I mean, yeah. it seems like you can get the number of votes, or in fact, in Illinois, the guy can just say like, "You're the senator," and yet you show up to work and there's like some, I don't know, there's like some, you know, there's like there's like an Empire bounty hunter standing in front of you know like in front of the door, like you know, there's a stormtrooper like blocking the way. Right, but in Minnesota's case, the the margin of uh, victory or defeat, depending on which side you're looking at, was so small they had to do an automatic recount. And then another recount, and then a court challenge, and another recount. I think Finally, they... they've recounted it so many times, there is nothing more left to count. It is I mean, over. I just don't don't get me wrong. I mean, I'm all for being I'm all for being over. I just it's just so weird. Like we were talking to, about this yesterday. That look, I'm under no illusion that like our democracy functions anyway. So it's not like I have any sort of innocence that's being shattered. I know our country's. Freaking! You know, we got a broke-ass country that doesn't work. That's fine. Doesn't matter to me. I I never had any belief that this country worked. But it, it, I would think that if you did cling to this sort of feeble illusion of a, of a republic, that it would bother you that every time they counted the votes, they had a different number. That would be troubling to me. It would be troubling. Yeah. I mean, if you sort of had any kind of like any sort of like clinging, fading hope that like your vote counted, it seems like that would work against that belief. One person, one vote. Yeah. What is so difficult about that concept? I don't know. The best part, by the way, not to, not to just go on and on because it sounds like it is sort of the last word in this. The best part was I saw one of the disputed ballots, and I think this was actually Franken who was disputing this, by the way. It was a vote for the other guy, Coleman or whatever his name is. It was a vote for him. Where literally, it shows the guy's name, like Johnny Coleman or whatever his name is, Johnny the Knuckles. And it's like, and then there's a box next to it. And, like, a guy has taken, like, and put a big effing, like, X through it. And Coleman's, you know, Franken's came and goes, I don't know, it's unclear uh, the intent of the voter. We challenge this ballot. And it's like, that's when you're sitting at home and you realize that you really are better served by just not caring. I mean, that's, as Homer Simpson would say, really, the moral is don't try. Don't try. Sit home, eat donuts, go to sleep. There you go. Repeat. <laughs> and repeat in the morning. That is the American uh, recipe for a healthy life, Todd tells us. <laughs> Meanwhile, uh, Senate officials on Monday rejected the credentials offered on behalf of Roland Burris. This is the senator appointee from Illinois, even though he planned to arrive today at the Capitol to be sworn in as the new senator from the state of Illinois. And so if you go to Drudge today, you will get to see that fantastic picture of our good friend Lisa Desjardins sort of flanking uh, her. What did she say, Sarah? She and Dana Bash were double teaming. The the would-be senator. I'll let everybody uh, be alone with that thought for a moment. You're a horrible person. I didn't say anything. I am simply repeating the words. I can go back and excerpt it if you'd like. 
but uh, she and Dana Bash, um, who was married to John King of the Touchboard fame, the Touch Map, the Magic Map, um, on CNN. You know, on CNN, the John King with the Magic Map, the electoral map leading up to the uh, election. He's yeah. like, and we're just going to take Minnesota out of this. And, and the if we just, like swooped it around. Totally. And over here, and even if we give these three counties in Nevada to McCain, and then down here through New Mexico, I'm going to blow that up, Anderson. That is Dana Bash's uh, husband. Um, anyway, so but but our, but our good friend Lisa is sort of like running after him with a microphone. This Bereska right. trying to get his comment. Right. As I guess he shows up, and then there's like a shows up at the Capitol and is like turned away by the secretary of the Capitol, the one who provides him with uh, his credentials to be a senator. And I guess the point of that is just like spectacle, or just to be. I guess to, to get you to, to keep people interested in it, or to maybe like to make the point. I it guess could be a ratings grabber because it has parallels throughout history. Black people were turned away from schools. Black people were turned away from restaurants. Now this black person turned away from the U.S. Senate with his legal credentials. So you're so you're thinking that maybe the team of folks around him is looking for the they're angling for the image. They're angling for the quick image on television of him being denied admission to something that in fact the governor the, the, the governor has actually said that he should be allowed to do yeah i governor, really thought about that the governor you know he's still the governor you know he may be a you know a loose cannon he be he may be indicted and uh, you know he's done all sorts of uh, you know horrible things on tape and said these ridiculous things but he's still the governor yeah if you take him out of office if you impeach the governor that's a different story then he has no power and i just by the way i have to say that this is sort of like when we were talking about was it Detroit? Was it the mayor of Detroit who was actually had like a low jack on him? Yes. Like, I mean, he was like out on like a jillion dollars bail, and he had like a tracking device. Like, they'd done everything but have Marlon Perkins come tag him, you know, with a microchip to track, you know, just to track him through, you know, as wherever he went. So he's sitting there with like a low jack on it, you know, like at his house. Like, I don't even think he was allowed to leave the house, but he's the mayor of the city. And you just sort of realize that standards are somewhat different in various uh, states, depending on how much corruption there is. And so I love that guy. Uh, just like I love, what's his name, Ted Stevens in Alaska? Oh, the road to nowhere guy. Yeah, it's the like, a, you know, they find him with like a trunk full of like soiled hundred dollar bills. And it's like they came within a whisper of voting him back in, which is great. And then this Blagojevich guy in Illinois, where apparently everybody is just so corrupt that you can just be sitting there looking like you're auditioning for a bit part on The Sopranos, doing everything but clutching a bloody hammer in your hand. And saying things like, you know, you guys ain't going to stop me from nominating a senator. And, you know, and it's like people are just like, well, what can you do? You know, everyone makes fun of the governor's hair, you know, in, in the state of Illinois. Right. It, it, looks, it looks almost more like a hat than, than, than a sprig of hair. Somebody asked me if I thought it was a rug, and I don't think it is, but here's what I think it is. I think it's a comb forward. Yes. Not like an Donald over. Donald Trump kind yes. of thing? Totally. Yes. Not yes. the comb over. We've known people who had the, the comb over, and people will do the comb back where you grow it down in the front, and then you swoop it back. Blagojevich, he has done this. He's like the back of the Costanza spot. He's grown a flap back there and then forward. Now, I don't know if this is true. This is just something that I happen to hear. Apparently, he has, you know, in his uh, executive posse that you know, follows him around mm -hmm. during his day-to-day -day activities, one of them carries the so-called football. With the nuclear launch codes? Except it's not nuclear launch codes. It's a special brush. When you say a special brush, do you mean for a delicate area? Of his, is this like Calvin Klein's man's special cologne? Oh, it's the thing that goes over his hair on his head. Oh, That's just like a brush for his actual head. Yes. We were like a special brush. I Seriously, guess. your mind's in the gutter, mister. <laughs> what would you think if there was a guy carrying a, quote, special, a special brush, brush for you? Yeah. I just think it's, it's a Sarah Dillon's. Fancy brush. It, okay, do not put my no, name no, in the No, but, no, but I'm sentence. saying if he had said, like, it's so-and-so's special brush. I'm just saying that indicates something. 
You know, Calvin Klein. But there's, I, there's something wrong going on down there if you need a brush. This is a special brush. This I'm is just saying. That's being nicknamed the football. You know, he doesn't go anywhere out of sight. Does not mean out of mind. So. Actually, chained to some guy's wrist. You know. The only point I was going to make is that Calvin Klein makes or or made at least a like a crotch cologne. Wow, that was not what I was going to say, but yes, that's what I was going to say. I see. Here's the difference between you and I. Sometimes. Uh, here's the great thing about Sarah and I and our relationship is that we're a lot alike, but we're sort of like um, and and this sounds this sounds awkward, so please forgive me for saying this, but I, I have actually said kind of the same thing about my wife, so I apologize for you know, honey, if you're listening, I apologize for diminishing the special uh, you know bond we have by using sort of a, the same kind of comparison for you know Sarah, but uh, but it is sort of that we're we're similar in a lot of ways, but not identical, mm-hmm. and part of that is. That there are days when you're sort of circumspect and I'm just sort of blunt and crude and horrible. And then there are times... Like yesterday? Yes. Yes. Or I'm just drilling, yeah, Chuck Knopf not to ask him about the... About fighting, with, brawling with Mike Chase in the hall. We're doing everything but having a cage match with Mike Chase. And I was saying, like, well, they're intense personalities who were both looking for the best way to... And then Sarah's just like, tell me about screaming at each other in the hallway, Chuck. Did you ever want to punch Mike Chase in the face? Come on! Um... <laughs> But just now, when we were talking about the special brush, and I was thinking it was a brush for down there, um, th- when you just said crotch cologne, I was actually going to say secondary cologne. Uh, secondary cologne. Because Calvin Klein at one point made something that they did in fact call, it was Calvin Klein's men's other cologne, is what they called it. It was men's other cologne. I bet Richie has some. Probably. I don't think they make it anymore. Uh, but that is not. By the way. But then what, I'm sorry, but what kind of smell? Like what would? What would? Are you really? Are you? Are you asking? Are you asking what the scent of the cologne exactly, is? Exactly. Is it like something like old spicy? Or is it going to be more like a flamed whopper? <laughs> Makes my boyfriend's junk smell like pie. <laughs> All right. Um, we should take a break now. Let's end this. Thank you so much. Now, Tulsa's returns with more news, improbably, around the corner. It's 503-733-2970. It is the Rick Emerson radio program. Still to come, uh, Jim Roof from CNN Radio Los Angeles, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com, and uh, Geek Watch, Taser Watch, all that coming up. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. This was playing all the time in Provo, of all places. Really? Just, you know, whether well, it's the edgy rock station. The guy named Joe or something. Um, very close to that. I'll just say this. Um, wait, hold on. we got to get to the uh, get to the course. Oh, and Lara had never heard it. So we're driving around, and, you know, we're styling anywhere in her mom's Astro van or whatever. Dang it. We're driving this horrible minivan through Provo looking for coffee because we're out of control. And then this is on the radio, and she's like, what is this? And I go, no, 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 you have to change the channel. And she goes, well, this guy sounds like a, like a douche. I'm like, no, you don't even listen. You don't, you don't even know. You have to listen to this. It's like, you don't even know what a douche is until you hear this. Something in your 
how we roll here at the Rick Emerson Show. Um, so yeah, so this so we, we would we would drive around and we would alternate back and forth between the rock station in Provo and then the alternative station. And so it was sort of like a uh, his and hers, uh, Rick and Lara, you know, yin and yang kind of a thing. So uh, so we would like listen to like the uh, to the to the dude in the rock station like play the hits uh, until something came on that sucked, and then we would switch over to the alternative station until like something bad came on and whatever. And we heard this Nickelback song like nine different times while we were there. Like they could, they cannot get enough of it, I think, out there in like Rockonia. But I shouldn't even say this because it's just going to be pointless, and nobody nobody really is going to care. I'll just make I'll just make this one observation. There is this sort of um, there is this sort of theory. It's called the um, it, it was uh, I think it was first broached in the 70s, and it was called the Peter Principle in business. And the Peter Principle essentially said that every time the Peter Principle was called rising to your level of incompetence, and basically it was a theory of business that said every time you do a job without screwing up, you're given a little bit more responsibility. And then if you do that job without screwing up, you're given a little bit more responsibility. And if, if, But the logical end of all that is you will eventually be promoted into a job that is beyond your ability and you will fail miserably. Um, and so it's sort of rising to your level of incompetence. I'll just say that there's uh, there's this guy who, when I was working in Utah, and this is, Jesus, I mean, this is like 13 years ago, was there and was just, just a colossal dick. I mean, just a, just a, just a raging douchebag. And now, face on a billboard. So... It's on a billboard, because he's driving you to work with all the best rock hits, looking like a jerk. So, anyway. So, I guess the moral is, if you stay around long enough, yes, even you will get a job. You know, when you run your voice into that lower register like that, you're sounding an awful lot like Will Arnett from Arrested Development. Really? Yeah. Sort of a, uh, Steve Holt is a bastard. Yeah. He doesn't even Come on. Come on. Uh, I can't. That's pretty good. It no. is good. You know what's weird is if you go back and you watch, uh, I think it's like the third or fourth season of Sopranos, and Will Arnett, Joe Bluth, is on there playing an FBI agent. And the weird thing about Arrested Development and Will Arnett is that it hasn't ruined him for comedy. It's ruined him for drama. Because the genius the, the genius thing that he did in Arrested Development was to play Joe Bluth as a dramatic character. In other words, there's no... Like, he never really go, plays for the laugh, you know what I mean? He never chases the laugh. He never does, like, he never, like, mugs for the camera. He never does, like, a wacky expression or a strange delivery, you know? And his, he says everything as though he's starring in his own personal dramatic film. And that's what makes him so funny. You know, like when he, hermano, eh? You know, and it's just no matter what he says. So, so when you see Will Arnett in a comedy now where he's being kind of goofy, it totally works. If you see Will Arnett trying to do drama, you cannot accept him in that dramatic role because every time he does drama, it sounds like Joe Bluth. Um, so you'll see him in The Sopranos where he is the husband of another, of another FBI agent, a, a woman who is, who is trying to nail Tony Soprano on some, some charge. And there's a lot of like, you know, there's a lot of dialogue that is basically a lot of like, don't you worry, we'll get that bastard. And it's like you just can no longer, you can no longer accept it as anything but ridiculous. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, filling in for the laid off Tim Riley, laid off media professional and golden throated uh, announcer, Todd Tulsis. Thank you, Rick Emerson. Yes. Thank you, Sarah Dillon. 100,000 North Koreans attended the annual New Year's uh, Eve party in Pyongyang's Kim Il sung Plaza. That was on Monday. Crazy person Kim Jong il did not attend. <laughs> North Korean officials deny reports of illness to King jo Kim Jong-il, saying he's been busy touring farms, factories, military bases, and collecting Elvis, Elvis memorabilia. I think somebody said yesterday that there's a, like a bad Photoshop of him 
Like, no, 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 here's glorious leader standing in front of a symbol. You know, but it's like clearly, it's like from many years ago, and it's like... Like you can like it's like a different background where he's just sort of been like like stuck on the front in some sort of bad uh, like uh, some sort of bad photo manipulation program. I would pay uh, you know a reasonable amount of cash, maybe a, a few pop bottles and uh, maybe some gas money for someone to Photoshop Kim Jong Il's head on top of Yeltsin's body when Yeltsin was drunk at that party. Wait, Boris Yeltsin, dead or alive? Dead. Now, do we know he's dead? Oh, well, you want to check the casket? No, I'm just saying I can't. It, it, he's one of those guys that I've sort of forgotten about. Oh, yeah. You know, he used to get drunk and, you know, and, and, and crazy, and he used to go dancing. And it was, uh, you know, he was more of an embarrassment than, well, um, almost any other world leader. So. You're thinking George W. Bush. I That's didn't okay. say that. No, I you know, here's the thing. I understand how it is with you people that worked at, like, regular radio stations with your objective standards <laughs> and <laughs> journalistic, you know, like your unbiased delivery. I didn't say that. You should have seen Heidi. You should have seen when Heidi Tauber was here. It took Heidi Tauber about 45 minutes to get used to the fact uh, that she didn't really have to hide whatever it was she was thinking <laughs> about know. something. You know what I mean? So, I know. But uh, um, Kim Jong-il is great. Do you ever wonder if Kim Jong-il has seen Team America you know, where they do, where, you know, he's just like, as the bad, like, I'm so ronery, you know, like, like a stick puppet or oh, whatever. Oh, God, that song is amazing. I well, mean, I always kind of wonder about that. It's clear that he's seen Seinfeld, because where do you think he got his hair from? I can see that. Kramer. All right. Okay. Todd Tulsis. Oregon's unemployment hits 8%. Police say a four-year-old boy in southern Ohio shot his babysitter because the sitter accidentally stepped on his foot. Wow. Okay. 18-year-old Nathan Beavers and several other teenagers were babysitting Nathan several... Beavers? Yes, that's his name. I didn't know. Is he dead? <laughs> Check the casket. And several I other just want to know before we make fun of it, we kind of have this rule that I always... I know it. This, this, this either has a, a neutral or a happy ending. Okay. All right. Okay. 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 Uh, a police said Nathan Beavers, 18 years old, and several other teens were babysitting several young children in a mobile home on ja in Jackson, Ohio... Huh. When the shooting occurred, the witnesses told police the four-year-old retrieved the shotgun from a bedroom closet wow. and shot Beavers because the child was angry when Beavers accidentally stepped on his foot. Oh, jeez. Beavers was hospitalized with minor pellet wounds to his arm and side. Uh, there's so much about this story that is wrong and so much that is right, or at least fascinating. First of all, is it wrong that I'm impressed that the kid was able to lug a shotgun out there at the age of four? I mean, you're small when you're four. You know, you're it, impressed? That just sounds like an evil child. I'm... I'm not saying it was a good thing to do, but I'm saying strictly in terms of the physics and mechanics of it the situation. It could be a small shotgun. Uh, I myself... Baby's own, first shotgun? Uh, well, yes. Uh, I myself own a 410, which is sort of the Barbie of shotguns, you know. It's, uh -huh. Strictly for blowing molds out of their holds. Fisher-Price's uh, Lil Blaster? <laughs> yes. The, uh, yeah. But, I mean, you're four years old. You're a small person. You're living in a mobile home. It's probably not like health is like job number one in that place. So, right. I mean, it, you know, the fact that you're able to sort of get that thing out and... And also the fact that it was just sort of laying around indicates to you. I mean, I think we, I think we can all, I think we can all infer several things about this story quite correctly. Meanwhile, in a bizarre incident from Colorado uh, that will surely lead to litigation, if you know, if not an out-of-court settlement, a skier at Colorado's Ritzy Vale Resort was left dangling upside down and pantless from a chairlift last Friday. Wow. The January 2nd mishap apparently occurred after the male skier and a child boarded a high-speed quad lift at Vail's Blue Sky Basin. The chairlift's fold-down seat wasn't completely down, which caused the man to partially fall through the resulting gap. His right ski got jammed in the ascending chairlift and left him upside down and pantless. Why? How is it? But where does the pantless happen here? You want to see the picture? Yeah, because I don't, I don't understand it. See, I don't really ski. I've never skied in my life. I actually, that actually happened not the pantless thing, but um, oh, that's I was embarrassing. Skiing, I was actually trying to snowboard, and somebody got stuck on my snowboard, 
and was hanging from my snowboard. What do you mean was stuck on your snowboard? So I was with one of my friends, uh, Amanda, and we were there. Like we had, uh, she was skiing, I was snowboarding. Um, my binding was a little weird, and I'd never been snowboarding before. Right. So we're getting up to get on the chairlift, and this girl comes up at the last minute. She's like, "Hey, can I get on your chair with you?" And I'm just like, "You know, I don't really know what I'm doing. <laughs> right. our, our chair's kind of crowded." But she kept insisting to come with us, so she gets on the chair, slips off uh, her ski hooks onto my snowboard, right. and oh. it's starting to go, and she's dangling from my snowboard. Meanwhile, like, right. ch- 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 right. all the way up the hill. It didn't go very far. She was up about probably like six or eight feet, and then uh, they had to stop it. Is there like an emergency off. cord you can pull? Like, no, you know, the, like, uh, well, the stop stop operators right. watch for this stuff. Okay, so they're not, so it's not like a fully automated no, like procedure or something. Stop it and unhook her from my snowboard, and she got on the uh, seat behind us. And then I, um, as soon as I got off the chairlift, I promptly, you know, fell on my face on my snowboard, and she just skied by me, and she just <laughs> glared at me. I'm like, yeah, like I told you not to stick with fault. me, dumb bitch. Yeah. Right. The Roy Stalin to your Lane Meyer is sort of, you know, just looking sad. This, on the other hand, is fantastic. So, I guess I don't really know how ski lifts work, but I. Yeah, so the seat folds down like a like right. a folding chair. It's up right. The, the part that you sit on, right, is like a pad. If this one can fold down, the pad wasn't completely lowered. His butt goes through the hole in the chair where the pad would sit on top of. But his ski stops him from falling all the way through. Right. But then the ski is your ski hooked to your pants somehow? Well, no, your your boots are hooked to your feet, which are hooked to your skis, and the skis are probably you know four or five feet long. So as he fell. That's the thing. So it's like he's, okay, here's the back of the seat. Here's the actual seat folded forward so there's a gap. As he's sliding through, the gap is wide enough for his body, but tight enough that as he's going through it, it's peeling him like a banana of his clothing. <laughs> and then the ski, this is perfect. This is really one of those, like, billion-to-one things where you just thank God for some sort of, like, quantum mechanics that makes this possible. You couldn't ask a stunt team to come no, up with something like this. It's like the most Rube Goldbergian of situations where the ski has stopped him from leaving, but then he's dangling there with his ass and his, you know, business... Like flapping in the breeze. It's cold there. That's great. It's cold there, too. I wonder how long he was hanging there. It says 15 minutes. The, that's uh, wonderful. The safety patrol managed to back up the that lift, and they, and they dislodged it. Seriously, that's just the sound of cell phone cameras and uploading all around you. I think it's the sound of litigation. It's the sound of your future suicide. Jesus. <laughs> all right, well, there you go. Well, that's... At least he's unidentified. Well. Is he? For now. For now. <laughs> I mean, maybe. I, I don't really. I guess that depends on how well one, uh, one knows the unidentified man. Were you here when we were talking about that? bus that was dangling off the overpass in, in Seattle or whatever? I heard about it. Jesus. I don't keep you up nights. All right, ladies and gentlemen, at the uh, news desk, Todd Tulsa. It's time for today's Bushwatch. Here's your Bushwatch for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson Program. He's the president, he's kind of in charge, he's got the whole country saying, that's my bush. Life is hard, that's the price of fame, when you're president, everyone knows your name. Hey, what's that there? It's my bush. I can't believe he's actually in the White House. That's our man. with your Bush Watch for Tuesday. Sometimes it takes an extra day or two for the news to get into the talker's newsroom here on First Street, but uh, we, have we a, get this one. a bit of a laissez-faire attitude towards <laughs> no, timelines. The news guys go sort of move at half speed here sometimes, but on Sunday, uh, former President George H.W. Bush, father of said George W. Bush, who's presently in the White House not for long, said he'd like to see his second son, Jeb Bush, become President of the United States someday. <laughs> Keep wishing. Interviewed on Fox News on Sunday, Bush said his second son, a former governor of Florida, had all the qualifications to serve in the White House. Bush, 55, said he was considering running for a U.S. Senate seat uh, representing Florida in 2010. 
But the older Bush, the father, said, I'd like to see him run. I'd like to see him be president one day. Or, well, of course. Or, or senator. Or, yes, I would. Right now is probably a bad time. We've had enough Bushes <laughs> in the White House in there, said Father Bush. Uh, so, wait, now, wait, did he actually say that? Yes. Right so now, Bush 41 actually said, said, we've had enough Bushes in the White House for right now? Right now is probably a bad time. We've had enough Bushes in there, he added. God, boy, you know... Well, could, could could W just be more of a walking embarrassment to everyone? I mean, he is like the, it's like uh, you know, it's like we always talk about embarrassing boyfriend or girlfriend syndrome, which is where you're at, you know you're out in public with your flapjack boyfriend and he says something stupid in front of your friends and they all look at you like you chose him. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's how Bush is. I mean, we didn't technically technically choose him like you know ever, but I mean, he's got to be that way for the family. I mean, it's just. It's just such the good news, bad news that he's so, you know, that he is probably the most famous member of the Bush family, probably even more so than Bush 41. You know, but 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 it's like but it's like being the it's like being famous because like you're uh, it's like being famous because you're that Star Wars kid in the YouTube video. You know what I mean? Uh, you know, or this guy whose penis was hanging out because he fell off a chairlift. I mean, you know, that's no that's no way to fame. Uh, but it's more than 15 minutes of fame. It ends up being eight years of fame and then eight years of. Well, you know, and they've got to be, I mean, to state the freaking obvious, they've got to just be upset because he just ruined the dynasty. You know I'm what sure I mean? that just has for, crossed his mind a few times. I mean, that's just like, that's just stool in the bloodstream is what that is. There's no coming back from that. George W. Bush will leave office on January 20th with approval ratings hovering just below 30% in many polls, some of the lowest of any president in history. Well done. You know, somewhere Richard Nixon is uh, is sort of smiling evilly and just, uh, you know, waiting for him to, waiting for his chance to step up one in line in terms of approval. So and so Jeb Bush isn't in governor of Florida anymore? No. No, uh, Charlie Chris is the governor of Florida. Yeah, I guess they wasn't even really following that. So. Yeah, yeah, he's, uh, he bailed out, I guess. Right. Uh, in a strange way, I mean, and this is the sort of thing I say that irritates my wife, way, but it, uh, really, in a, in a perverse way, I would kind of like to see Jeb Bush run for president just to sort of see half of the country get all cranked up and at any on apoplectic again. You do want to see the cities in flame, don't you? I do. I really do. Look, <laughs> look just like Lisa Desjardins was saying that she sometimes... W- this is these are her words, by the way, not mine. I, of course, don't wish for any any kind of uh, anything like this to happen. But Lisa Desjardins, her CNN correspondent, was saying that she actually sometimes wishes for assassins to storm the Capitol because she wants to be the lone brave reporter who's hiding under a desk, sort of like you know, sort of like what's his name, Peter Arnett in Kuwait during the shelling. She wants to be the one like now, um, Anderson. No, Anderson. No, there's, there's, they're walking to the halls right now. And I don't think they've heard me. Wait, there's a shot. Like, she wants to be, you know, the, the one where they put the picture up on the screen, and then there's just, like, the crackly voice that she's, like, you know, on the phone. Whatever. Yeah. Um, so she does sort of roots for Discord in that sense. I really, though, as we were saying earlier, I mean, I just so long ago just sort of just sort of dispatched with the notion that, like, your vote actually made anything any better, because that's clearly just... I mean, believing that is just a road to disappointment. So at this point, you really you're, the only thing your your vote is really good for is just to try to generate some kind of amusement for yourself, which is why I was going like the full Palin versus Hillary, uh, you know, stance. <laughs> that was my whole thing. The ultimate catfight. Yeah, but I mean, and so you know, Palin's not going to run in 2012. But I mean, the Bushes are rich enough and crazy enough that they might push that guy, and it would be worth it just to hear like all of Portland sort of opening the Advil bottle all at once. Do you know what I mean? Yes. And, you know, I think George Bush ends up being the Bush who backed into fame and fortune, if if not the presidency, when it was Jeb Bush that I think the family was hoping would achieve, oh, no. well, would ascend to the presidency. Clearly. No, no, no. But Georgia, like W was supposed to be the opening act, obviously, uh, yeah, for, for Jeb, who I think is, you know, probably several hundred degrees brighter. I'm sure. Than W. So, I mean, I think it was this, I think it was like the interim step. 
You know what it was? In poker terms, I say, uh, pandering shamelessly to the 1844-year-old uh, male demographic. In poker terms, it was like they slow-played the hand. <laughs> You know, rather than just going all in. I mean, they should have gone. They should have gone right for Jeb Bush. They should not have. It's like when you get the pocket kings, and you go, wait a minute. No, I'm going to try to bleed these guys. So I'm going to slow play this, and then you get screwed by the guy who has the aces down the table. Uh, you know, or by realizing that one of your kings is in fact a joker. It is sad to think that uh, George Bush's only foreign policy experience prior to achieving the presidency was trading Sammy Sosa to the Cubs when he was an executive. With the Texas Rangers. It was a harbinger. Uh, <laughs> what would we say right That's now? the is, best he could do. Here's a good question as we get ready to, to say goodbye to George W. Bush, like forever. Did, what would we say is George W. Bush's most embarrassing moment? Oh, I mean, for us as a people. Katrina. You think? I mean, that was sort of, I mean, that was like a big ongoing debacle, though. I mean, is that, I mean, that almost doesn't count. See, I'm thinking that. I'm thinking something very specific. Like the Mission Accomplished Banner. That's like a one specific moment. Uh, that is just, I mean, that's... That, then, I let's, mean, then let's boil Katrina down to, Brownie, you're doing a heck of a job. Doing a heck of a job. You're doing a heck yeah. of a job. Also, the... God, I wish we had this soundbite still. We lost all of our Bush soundbites. Um, that one where he said, uh, there's too many OBGYNs that aren't able to practice love with their, with their patients. patients. Oh, good well, not times. To, not to worry, because I have been supplied with the second part of the Bush Watch Day with some of the famous, fabulous, wonderful quotes of George Excellent. Bush throughout his presidency. We'll do that, and then Kevin, I see your call. Kevin, we got the call has been very patient with us, so we'll get his call here in just one second. So these are some of the most famous Bush quotations. Yes. All right. Excellent. We'll do those. Let's roll through these, and we'll see how many I remember and how many I don't. Uh, Sarah's been kind enough to highlight a few of these, and I agree. Mm, first one, I know the human being and fish can coexist peacefully. Here's the thing about that I think of immediately. There's that George Bush quote of the day calendar that we had all through 2008. And there, yeah, there were 365 yes. different, like, retarded George W. Bush quotes in there. And it's sort of, it, it kind of is staggering to think that he could have generated that many. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, even, even by that guy's standards, well, it mean, really is like, that's like a decathlon of stupidity. Well, this page goes out the door and into the street, so right. we're just going to have to roll through right. these quickly. Okay. Rarely is the question asked, is our children learning? God bless you, George W. Bush. Vladimir Putin. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> There's no doubt in my mind, not one doubt in my mind, that we will fail. I don't even know what he was talking about. I do. Any was, number of things. That was October 4th, 2001, and Washington Bush was remarking on a back-to-work plan after the terrorist attacks. All right. It would be a mistake for the United States Senate to allow any kind of human cloning to come out of that chamber. I don't even know what he's talking about. Yeah, I was at the White House as right. Bush urged Senate passage of a broad ban on cloning. Remember that? Remember the time when he said, "When you're like you're working hard to put food on your family." <laughs> the great thing that one is great in just its sort of brevity and simplicity. That's almost like a Yogi Berra kind of a thing. There, our enemies are innovative and resourceful, and so are we. They never stop thinking about new ways to harm our country and our people. And neither do we. See, here's the thing. You're not going to get any of the... Here's what people don't realize. You're not going to get any of this with Barack Obama or Joe Biden. Joe Biden is simply dull. And Barack Obama is simply going to be one long slide into disillusionment and uh, betrayal. I mean, it's not going to be interesting, though. It's just going to be more, more of the same slow, gradual letdown. So at least George W. Bush, it was like, you know, it was sort of like... Uh, he was sort of like... He was kind of like the... He was like the idiot bubble wrap of politics. You know, he didn't really protect you in any way. He didn't really serve any actual function. But, you know, if you were bored at lackluster moments, you could always just pick him up and, and that's what he could do, you know? Yep. I right. forget. You do one always, more, we should close You could always that. rely on him for a winner. Um, we look forward to hearing your vision. 
so we can more better do our job. Who can disagree? There's your bush watch uh, for Tuesday on the Rick Emerson radio program. That's fantastic. I'm going to miss that guy. That's wonderful. Who will we have to kick around? I really, I, no, I don't know who were we kicking around before that. I mean, the French, but I don't feel like we can do that anymore. I feel like that, too, that's been taken off the plate. Uh, hello. Hi, you're on the Rick Emerson radio program, sir, madam, as the case may be. Hey, Rick. Hello. Uh, Hi, sir. You were uh, talking earlier about uh, you know, motivational posters yes, and uh, all of that. I was going to put you onto a site, uh, despair.com. Uh, they, uh, they specialize in doing those posters where it's the big motivational picture with right. uh, the demotivational slogan. And it says something like, uh, I don't know, what does it say? Well, like, uh, my, my personal favorite is, a you know, it's a picture of, like, a beautiful, serene lake with the, uh, the rowing team working on it, you know, going across it in a boat. And underneath it, it just says, get to work. <laughs> I mean... Start being paid to believe in the power of your dreams. At least those are sort of honest. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, uh, hey, here's a fun fact. So we have this, uh, we had this big one-day sale here a while back at KCMD Portland. Uh, we have this big sort of one-day sale, they call it, which is where the salespeople all kind of, like, stay in. And it really is just a, you know, it's a huge kind of one-day push to, you know, to get a lot of business in and, you know, to do, like, you know, you cut special deals for, for advertising and whatever. Anyway, so they, so they, by, as, as a way to get everybody sort of pumped up for the sale upstairs, and Sarah and I were wandering through the halls looking, at they, they put up all of these sort of wacky kind of, sort of like you were talking about, sort of like these pithy sort of motivational signs upstairs, uh, you know, where it's like, you know, where it says, like, uh, you know, if life gives you lemons... You know, like, give them back as who wants lemons or whatever, you know, wah-wah. So it's all of these, like, weird sort of motivational signs. But, but, the, um, but this was, uh, I think, just about three days before the big, uh, the big cleansing, the, the unpleasantness. And somebody forgot to take down all of them, and a few of them remained. And the one that remained on the front of the men's room door directly facing my office so that I could see it every day was just the one that said, Third prize is you're fired. And every day I would come to work, and I would just see this thing that said, Third prize is you're fired, as I would come down to look at a lonely, empty newsroom. <laughs> So, so those were good times at CBS. Boy, I miss 2008. I wish I could live that year over and over again. All right. I'm sorry. Was that out loud? Prayer. All right. All right. I well, mean, brother in the French. Yes, I don't know why I know that. I took four years of Spanish. All right, then. Uh, on that note, uh, thank you for holding, sir. I appreciate your patience. You call us anytime. No, no goodbye. We no don't, goodbye? We don't give, uh, you know, whatever. We don't give valedictions at the end of calls anymore. We don't validate your parking either. Uh, there you go. All right. I just don't understand this world anymore. All right. Hello, Sarah Dillon. Hello. How are you today? Oh, super. Are you, in fact, super? Oh, yes, indeed. All right. Uh, is your friend Kelsey going to be uh, staying for a few minutes? No, she has to go back. To uh, we didn't get a chance to talk to Kelsey about how you drowned your sorrows in, what was it? Double-sized bottles of wine. Yeah, two double bottles of wine and then two bottles of wine. Well, another time. And we both showed up to work right and tricky at one time. Of course. It's because it's what you do. You're a game day player, sir. Back after this, more news with Todd Tolson later on. Cena Radio correspondent Jim Roop. The greatest songs ever made. Katie Darrell from TMZ and more of your phone calls. Stay there. It's the Rick Emerson Show. Don't go anywhere. The Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. In the mere moments, more news with Todd Tulsa joining us here in the studio. 
Uh, let's see, what else? I think we have giveaways of some kind that we're going to get to. Can I get to all my notes from New Year's? I think I used all my sound from New Year's. It would be pointless to play it now. Uh, I, I think I, there's one thing that I wanted to mention that I didn't. Let's see. I'm going to look at my New Year's notes here real quickly. Jonas Brothers, yes. Okay. Dick Clark. Boy, the thing about Dick Clark is... Is it, and Donna, uh, Donna Mike, uh, Michael Mara, we, they were talking about this last night, and we, we only played the one where he's like, this is the greatest news ever. And it's like, and you, like, here's the thing about it is, like, on the one hand, you know, you, like, you know, you're not supposed to laugh, but on the other hand, you just, like, you just do this. It's like seeing a guy slip on the ice sometimes, or seeing a guy get kicked in the store. You know, you're just like, you know, you're not, you know, it's not funny. When, like, Mo hits Curly in the head with a frying pan or something, like, really, there's nothing funny about that, and yet, there you are laughing. And, but, like, with Dick Clark, it's like a whole different level of that, because he's there, and he's kind of, like, composed on television in a sort of horrible, waxen sort of way, but then he opens his mouth, and he begins to speak, and it's not just that he's speaking, it's that, like, the first thing out of Dick Clark's mouth, apart from, like, a weird, open-ended sort of air-escaping sound, is... His invocation that it, in fact, quote, is the greatest New Year's ever, which is clearly not true for Dick Clark himself. I mean, it may be, look, let's put it this way. Every New Year's may, in fact, be better than the one before it for Ryan Seacrest at this point. <laughs> but that's just, because he's just, that's just because he's hovering there like some sort of carnivorous bird, just sort of, you know, just waiting for the day that they forget to plug something in. And, you know, they're still calling it, uh, you know, Rocker New Year's Eve, uh, Dick Clark's Rocker New Year's Eve with... Ryan Seacrest. Tom Likas was talking about it. Likas did a whole hour on this yesterday. He, I did not know that. He said that it was now, the name of the show is actually Dick Clark's New Year's Rockin' Eve with Ryan Seacrest. And you know what that's sort of like? That's like when they figure out that one guy in the band is really the focal point for all the, uh, for all the attention. And so they slowly start to name the band after that guy. That's like how it was. The Amboy Dukes. Then it was the Amboy Dukes with featuring Ted Nugent. Nugent. Then it was Ted Nugent's Amboy and, Dukes. Right? Then it was just Ted Nugent. The Amboy Dukes are sitting at home going, what? Hello? Ted? You know, waiting for him to, you know, dialing calls that would never be answered. So they're slowly doing that with Ryan Seacrest, who, by the way, God bless Ryan Seacrest, uh, you know, and, all, and all, of his, all of his success in a difficult industry. You want to talk about a guy who I think is some sort of weird broadcasting cyborg. That's a guy who has... Sarah was making a reference yesterday to somebody she knew sort of being uh, robot-like in terms of his interaction with other human beings. Ryan Seacrest, it's like he only has the one switch, and that switch is just saccharinesque over-enthusiasm. So it's, hey, we're going to go back down to Ryan Seacrest. That's right, Dick, it's the greatest New Year's ever. I have no human emotions. I'm here with a plasticine smile waiting for you to die, you know, but with, like, the huge, like, grin on his face. And then he kind of goes over and chucks Lionel Richie on the shoulder, and then they, then they giggle, you know, to themselves or whatever. And Jesus, and don't you, goddamn, it's Kelly Pickler, who... Oh. I think at this point it's like 98% uh, plastic, and I said this yesterday, so I won't dwell on it, but I'm not saying that she was on some sort of amphetamine, but I, I'm just saying she did have the mannerisms of somebody who might, in fact, not have an entirely uh, natural high going on inside her body. Um, well, I guess that's it. Except to say, as uh, I don't know if I mentioned this or not yesterday, if you were, did you watch the Dick Clark thing? I didn't watch that. No, see, now you're missing out though, because really, am I really? It is the thing that everybody wants to talk about the next day. That, like, that's the thing. Like, you know what it is with Dick Clark is that th that. Okay, here's what it is. Dick Clark's, and I don't, I don't mean like the overall. I mean him specifically. His segments on New Year's. Dick Clark's segments on that New Year's show have become the equivalent to the commercials dur during the Super Bowl, right? 
where you are, I mean, you are theoretically watching because, you know, you want, you want to see the game, you know, you want to see the big game and whoever is the victor. But really, you're not because the, because the game always sucks. Most of the time, it's a blowout. It's like a big one-sided, you know, it's a lopsided victory. But you're just there so you can watch, like, the new Bud Bowl commercial or something. Or you can see, like, whatever, something where they have Ed McMahon, like, rapping and rolling around in a bed with supermodels or some <laughs> embarrassing nonsense. But that's what it is with New Year's. Right? Like, New Year's is like a nine-hour thing, where presumably there's, like, singing, and there's dancing, and there's Jonas Brothers, and Ryan Seacrest, and Kelly Pickler, and, you know, they're interviewing, you know, Lionel Richie, and John Bon Jovi is there, and they're showing you, like, how, like, they made the, like, the crystal ball that drops has been made by, you know, been made by Oompa Loompas, you know, somewhere over the period of, like, 17 months or what. Like, you're supposed to care about all that, but that's not what anybody talks about the next day now. When you watch, this is why it's just insane to me that they haven't found some player some power broker to sit him down and just give him the word, like, look, man, like, like you gotta, like, I don't know who that would be at this point because he owns the whole joint. Right. I mean, Dick Clark Productions. I mean, he is, he is, he is like the great and, and powerful Oz. You know? you know what? Do you think the guy spends a lot of the year going through therapy, just trying to get it together enough it's so that he working. can, I mean, so that he can you know, utter a few sentences or or mumble his way through something? I mean, you got to give the guy a little bit of credit for trying. I, you know, it's not his fault he had a stroke. I'm not saying it's his fault he had a stroke, and I don't wish to seem hard-hearted about this, but I think here's my observation. Don't get me wrong. Dick Clark is he is a pioneer. He's yes. a groundbreaker. Yes. I respect him as a broadcaster, and again, I, you know, I am I'm not some uh, godless hippie. I respect success, uh, you know, and business acumen, and he has both of those just in spades. So, I mean, I, I really do love Dick Clark. He's, 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 he's a, to say that he is a towering figure. Is an understatement of colossal proportions. Yeah. That being said, we figured out yesterday he's 79. So, like, the deal, first of all, been, when he was on Bandstand when he was, like, 18 or something? <laughs> and, I mean, he started and, on television when he was very young, right? Yeah, and, and he managed to keep that ungainly youth for decades. How did that happen? So, well, I'm thinking it's because he would kill people and drink their curry. That's, <laughs> but that's only my, I mean, that's just a personal theory. I don't have any proof for that. It's just, I, I'm speculating. It's a, postula, it's a postulation at this point. But I, but... But my whole thing is, like, he's been doing it for, like, 60 years. So, I mean, he had a great run, you know? He had a great run. He did everything you could possibly do. I think Lycus touched on this yesterday. He's done. He, is, he's, he has nothing to prove at this point. Yes. And, and you know what? I, again, I don't mean to sound, I'm not trying to make light of it or to diminish how bad it is for him and whoever, but, you know, for people who have strokes. But, you know what? When you're 75, like, strokes happen. That's the, that's the time in your life when things start to go really wrong. Yes. Like, that's, you know, it is just sort of expected. And at that point, you'd figure, you go, well, look, I've been on television for the better part of, like, 60 years. Maybe I'll sit at home and wait for the checks to arrive at this point. You know, just, uh, you know, sit this one out and just get the money from it. I'm sure he does that anyway. So but, I, uh, I think he just, it's just like this reflexive, he, it's just like this weird reflexive living his life in front of the camera and now just knows no other way to exist. Which is sort of, you know, it's sort of sad. You know, there's something to be said for a... Uh, you don't want to... Call him a hood ornament, really. You know, he really is such a pioneer. But yet, showing up for a couple of sentences or a pat on the back, you know, and isn't it swell? No one wants to see Betty Page makes, old and wrinkly. Uh, it, 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 right, it makes you uncomfortable. That's what I'm saying. So, and uh, my final note is that they have never, I have never in my life heard a worse sound mix than I did on New Year's Eve Sunday for Dick Clark's uh, New Year's Rockin' Eve. Because you could tell there was some guy in the booth that was slowly over the course of the night potting him down and potting the up. So eventually, by the end of the night, you heard crowd noise. And then if you listened really closely, you could kind of hear a in the background, which I think was to minimize the uncomfortable factor for everybody. It didn't work. Let's welcome now to the Rick Emerson Show. 
Before we resume our news with Todd Foltis, our good friend Jim Roop joining us from Los Angeles. Hello, sir. Hey, happy New Year, man. Happy. How is life in Rouponia? Life is good. You, I was just going to say that you sounded good. That was actually the first adjective that sprang to mind. Ah. What's up with your head, man? It's a little bit of a flu. All right, so it's, a, it's not like a spring. Well, it wouldn't be spring fever at this point. But you got the, is, it like, is it more in the head, more in the chest, all over? What do you got? You know, it's been hanging on for a long time. It sort of hit every possible part of my body that it could. Well, that's good. So, uh, so you've also you've got ass flu additionally. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. You've got uh, you've got flu of the uvula, uh, Jim. It's just not getting any better. Uh, let me just say this. I don't mean to put sort of a sort of put you out on the wrong foot here to sort of darken your thoughts, but I got to tell you, I started coughing and losing my voice November third, and I know that because it was the night before the election, and I was still coughing. Uh, the day, the last day that I noticed that I was coughing was actually December tenth. So, I mean, that thing, that hung on in my throat for the better part of, like, six weeks. So I'm hoping that, that you can sort of, I'm hoping you can kind of skirt that a little bit. Well, this has been, uh, this has been here for several days, almost a week now. I mean, I, you know, I was sick a little bit early in the month, so it never really went away. And I, I don't think I've taken enough time to really heal, because <laughs> I'm older now, you know. Uh, but I'll be all right. It'll go away. Well, and of course, working in the media at this point in 2009, one doesn't wish to take time off, even if one really needs it. I mean, do you ever notice that? Like with, uh, I mean, I haven't watched Leno forever, but I mean, you know, Carson. By the end of Carson's reign, he was working like one day a week, and then like for an hour. Yeah, and then it was like Leno one day, and Joan Rivers one day, and reruns one day, and like it would just be a test pattern one day, and like that Indian head thing one day, and you know, Carson would show up occasionally, and he'd talk for five or six minutes, and then like you know, and then the band, would, you know, and then Tommy Newsom would say something, and then he'd go home. But you know, as soon as they got Leno in there, Leno never took a vacation once ever. Because the moral is, when you get back, there might be somebody else's name on that parking space. Anymore, yeah. You know, so, I mean, like, uh, you know, and even now, if I take vacations, you think I get a guest host in here? F that. No, that's sir. Not that's happening. Up, that's up, baby. Come back, and uh, Todd Tulsis here will be doing my show for me. Isn't that right, Todd? <laughs> oh, I should be so lucky. Uh, the um, How was your holiday break, okay? Uh, it was good. I mean, you know, I, was, I always joke about going to Provo, uh, you know, to, 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 see my, uh, to see my in-laws who are... Um, Interesting people, but uh, you know, but here, but it was, you know, it really was. Uh, it was, it was great to get to, you know, we had, you know, we had the, you know, bit of a bit of a December, and you know, we went through, we went through, uh, like a lot of people did. We're not alone in this, but you know, the recession obviously touched CBS Radio as well, and we went through, you know, kind of a weird couple of weeks. It was good to just, as they used to say, get out of Dodge, hang out with my wife, even in Provo. It was, it was okay because in Provo, let me tell you this, it's not even Provo, it's Orem, in Orem, Utah. You absolutely have the sense that you are in a place where no one can find you if you don't want to be found. Because no one ever goes to Orem for anything, ever. No one just hangs out there for no reason. So, I mean, if you want to vanish, you go to Utah, friend. Um, so we did that, and then, uh, you know, and then we came back and had a kind of a low-key New Year's. We just had dinner and watched Dick Clark and cringed, and, uh, you know, and then uh, there you go. And I uh, sat on my big, fat American ass. And, uh, you know, and I ate uh, snack crackers and uh, played video games, and that was pretty well, much it. you go ahead and make fun of yourself, but that's probably the only time you relaxed all year, right? No, it, you know what? It was, it was, it, we have, it, there's many, many years have passed on the show where the, uh, where the discussion of me and my work habits and how I don't really relax all that well, just because I'm a creature of habit, you know, and Sarah and I were talking about this the same way. We, Sarah and I did, we figured out that the last couple of weeks of 2009, we did one week where we were here for a day. We had another week we were here for three days, and then we were gone, and then it was just like, you know, so this is actually the first week in almost a month that we've done a regular week all the way through, and which I guess, I you know, we needed some time off to sort of regenerate and whatever, but, the, you know, but by the same token, if I don't have structure, I just start to fall apart. 
You know, I just it's, I remember reading this interview with Brian Wilson one time, who's not like a benchmark for sanity in any way. You know, because he starts barking like a dog halfway through any sentence that he's going to tell you, and then you know they're starting fires. What? You know, uh, you know, and then Phil Spector. Ha! Ah! You know, it's just it's just so weird to hear that guy talk. But th- they were asking Brian Wilson after he'd been sort of cured of his craziness to whatever extent he can be. And they said, they had a really good question. The interviewer said, Brian Wilson, former crazy guy, if you ever start to go crazy again, will you actually know? Will you yourself be able to tell that you are getting crazy, and how will you be able to spot it? Which is a great question. And Brian Wilson said, he said that he knew exactly what he would do. He said that first he would stop bathing, then he would stop kind of changing his clothes, He said then he would stop putting dishes away. Then he would stop leaving the house. By the way, in that order is exactly the four things I do whenever I'm on vacation for a long time or my wife isn't around. In that order, really? Exactly. First of all, why am I bathing or shaving? I'm not leaving the house. F that. I'm going to stink. You know, and then it's like, why change pants? Who am I going to see to impress today? Then it's a lot of, well, I'll do all these dishes the day before Lara gets back. I'll let them pile up for now. You know, and then it's a lot of... Really, I got high-speed Internet access. I got food here. I got a phone. I can order pizza. Why do I need to leave the house? So, I mean, you know, really, if Laura were to be gone long enough, I would, in fact, create pet sounds. I mean, there's just no getting no getting around. So, anyway, but it was good. It was good. How about you? I spent Christmas Day in Covina where that guy shot up that family. Oh, God, I forgot all about that. I'm, that's, I'm sorry. That's a bad way to – that's a bad thing to have to be covering. Oh, man. If, yeah, on Christmas Day, you know. Jesus. But – uh for the most part, I worked the whole time uh, during the holidays. Boy, that guy was just—I mean, I—you know—and the thing that was, is, that was uh, that story kept developing all day long. It was—it just got worse. Usually, you go to something like that, you know, they find the body, the police say this is what's happening, we move on. But this story just kept unfolding even through the next day when we started finding out about this guy's plan and how he just didn't snap. He had set this thing up scheme like September. You know? Right. Uh, it just got weirder and weirder, and, and it made you go home and hug your family. Oh, I mean, and I, you know, and it was the good news, bad news that we weren't around for that because it was a big story. But on the other hand, it was just so awful, and in a way that there was just, you know, we look. We, I'm not going to lie. We we hew toward the dark, the darker side of things. Sometimes we're known for our gallows humor, but you know that story was just so horrifying. Yeah. And the only small, tiny little glimmer of anything that I got out of the only tiny, tiny little upside in that story. Was it this this bastard, like, you know, shows up at the party, starts shooting, starts with a kid, first of all, which is that's like a one-way ticket to the, where the guy with the horns and the stick is going to jab you for eternity. Yeah. That's like hot rails to hell right there. So he starts with a kid. And then he's, like, going through the house, killing people and whatever, and he's rigged his whatever to explode. The only, the only tiny little chuckle I got of the whole thing in some horrible way was that he had built this homemade flamethrower, yeah. which he didn't really understand how it worked. So at one point he walked by a candle and set himself on fire. And when they found him, the Santa suit was, in fact, fused to his body. Yeah, they found pieces of the Santa suit there. It's because uh, when, when, when later in the day they said they found, uh, they think the guy who did it, I said, was he wearing the Santa suit? And the cops said, no, he left the Santa suit here. I said, he took the Santa suit off. Yeah, we found fragments of the Santa suit. Well, that was the stuff that burnt. We later found out that was the stuff that burned off of him. Yeah, it's, you know, like you said, it fused to his body. I mean, so I like to think that you know, there's a guy who clearly 
I mean, you know, but again, you know, he's like the Columbine kids, you know, just that whole, you know, that the whole, just that, 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 that weird sort of, I mean, I understand that everybody, look, look, everybody gets in a bad mood now and again, but it was just like, you could tell he just had that weird, like, uh, smugness about the whole thing going on. And so I like the idea that his last moments were spent in the awful, horrible, uh, like searingly painful, uh, recognition of the fact that he really wasn't that bright. So you know Southern California, right? Oh, yeah. He drove from Covina to Silmar. To Silmar. With third-degree burns yeah. on his arms. Now, I, don't, I, don't, I don't know how he did that. I don't know. I don't know. I then, mean, then he decided, hell, no one's going to let me on a plane like this. I might as well. <laughs> might I'm as sorry, well. sir. You're going to need a secondary yeah. search behind uh, the curtain. <laughs> hey, uh... Yes, I'm sorry. We'll uh, yes, we'll need to wand you in the back room. You appear to be on fire, sir. Is that bone? Yeah. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> I'm sorry, sir. Get on this plane. There are no jabbing fibula segments allowed on this flight. I, uh, boy, am I, uh, am I apologetic for you, sir? So you know. Anyway, so it's like you know, it's like somebody said about Hitler. You know, that's a good way for that guy to end his life. You know, on his honeymoon in a ditch on fire. Yeah. You know, goodbye, jackass. Um, all right. Well, let's. That being said, Jim. I'm reading now from CNN that apparently the city of Los Angeles is becoming one of the safest cities oh, in the nation. Well, it's not Covina proper. No, no. Uh, They've kind of blown the curve. Well, you know what? I, I had that news conference yesterday. I, I asked because, you know, 381 murders last year. You compare that to 1992, there were 1,100 murders. Um, and the reason why they compared it to 92 was because that was the last time economic times were as bad as they are now. So they think um, these kind of times help the crime rate rise a little bit. I don't know about murders, but definitely probably. Just because you're not like, trying to knock off a liquor store to pay the rent? Or... Yeah. Mm. And I said, well, seriously, is because I don't feel safe walking around Los Angeles, and if you take a look at the kinds of murders that are out there between the gangs and everybody else, they're horrific. So is it that people aren't reporting them? How many, how many missing person reports do you have compared to 1992? Uh, how many people do you not know what what happened to right, them. Right. And is that murder number, would, will that go up once you find out where these people are? No one's saying anything? I mean, how how scared are people to report things? Uh, and no one can answer those questions. But, I, I you know, I I just, seven years straight of, of that significant of a decline in the homicide rate is a little strange for me to believe in a place like that. Well, let me ask you this. So walking the streets of whatever part of L.A., do you feel uh, less or more safe or the same as you did, like, five years ago? I feel the exact same as it is five years ago. So there you go. See, that's the thing. It's like, no matter where you are, there's some guy. Like, here's you know what I think would terrify people? I think if at any given moment people could somehow magically have a third-person view of the neighborhood around them and realize how many people within probably a square mile of you are sitting at home polishing a gun right now, just waiting for that, waiting for the sign, you know, or just waiting for one bad day. You know that that number's up from just even last year because oh. there are more people. Oh yeah. So I don't understand that. You know, there's 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 so many more people than there was just five years ago. You can't possibly tell me there really are less homicides. Mm-hmm. How you know what category you put these in? And, and they just say, well, that's just what it is. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, so please, please come spend your dollars here. Please, tourists, please come on. You're not going to die. Um, the because because every time something like this, you know, Christmas shooting is on the news. You can just see the guy who's at like the tourism revenue board just going, oh, God, you know, yeah. just like another, you know, another down fiscal quarter. Um, <clears throat> hey, so speaking of uh, of criminals and bastards, uh, so Roman Polanski, <laughs> boy, you know, you want to talk about a guy that just ought to be beaten with it? I mean, I understand. I should say for the record, Roman Polanski has, to my knowledge, never been convicted of anything. No. That being well, said, wait a minute, he pled guilty. 
To he what? pled guilty in 78 to having sex with that girl. Did he plead guilty? See, I didn't think that he even pled to that. Yeah, he just fled, though, to avoid jail time. And, uh, you know, he wanted the case dismissed. There were some circumstances surrounding that um, where he didn't know she was 13 or yeah, but he knew, something to that. But am I wrong in when I uh, – and I know that there was prosecutorial misconduct and all that. That's but am I, alleging. But am I wrong in these details when I – not to be horrible about this, but am I wrong about this? Roman Polanski, of course, who was you know, an Oscar-winning film director. He did Chinatown yeah. and Rosemary's Baby yeah. and uh, – I don't know some other some other crap that I can't remember at the moment. But am I wrong in remembering in the story that it was not only a 13 year old girl in a hot tub, but that she was in fact drugged and unconscious? I don't know about unconscious, drugged. I remember. Okay. Well, maybe she wasn't unconscious. Maybe he, maybe, maybe she was. At the time, the police arrived. Merely drugged. Merely so, drugged. So you know, and so every time you just see that sweaty bastard on television, you know, like you know, when he's accepting. Well, he just he made the pianist, didn't he? Yeah, I guess that that's true. How many years well, ago was that? And, well, he won an Oscar. Isn't that what he won the Oscar for? He yeah. had a standing ovation. Yeah. Oh, and he's yeah. appearing via satellite. From like I, I think France is he in France? Some tunnel, some cave in Afghanistan. Secure location. Seriously, he's in some 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 country where he's hailed as you know like a great guy. So he's making this closed circuit appearance at the Oscars, and everybody's giving him the standing ovation yeah. as he's getting the Oscar. You know, and I know you have to separate the artist from the art and all that, but you know you're just sitting there going, God, what I wouldn't give to see just a bunch of pit bulls just get that guy right in the junk. You know, <laughs> really, I'm saying that right now. I'm not asking for it to happen. He should, you know, of course, violence is wrong. I'm just saying, God forbid. God forbid that there's some sort of an industrial pulping machine, and he happens to get a pant leg caught into that thing. And, and you know, we don't have too many recent pictures of him, but what we have seen, he you put him next to Phil Spector, you can almost not tell them apart. Totally. Hey, you know, but have you seen Quantum of Solace? No. Dude, you got to see Quantum of Solace, because the bad guy in Quantum of Solace is a dead freaking ringer for Roman Polanski. Like, to the point that if he has not already played him in a movie, it is inevitable. It is uncanny. It'll, in fact, it was actually distracting. It kept taking me out of the movie. I'm like, well, that's Roman Polanski. I mean, it's, it's really weird. you gotta, you got to check it out. So. All right. All right. Well, are you going to be on the mar? Are you going to go home and, like, give yourself some lemon and whiskey? I was told to go home, but, you know, I gotta, I, I'm getting ready for the Golden Globes. I'm ordering DSL lines and crap like that. Yeah, so. You know what? It's because you're the Iron Man, Jim Rope. I'm an idiot. <laughs> That's my wife, she'll tell you. <laughs> All right. You're Jill. a moron. Yeah, well, I get to go to the bank twice a month. I'm a happy man. Totally noted. Jim yeah. Roop, all right, feel better, my, uh, my friend. Sir. Thank you. All right, there you go. Hello, Todd Coltis. Hello there, Rick Emerson. How are you? Sorry, I'm late. I'm sorry we're running so behind today. That's Sarah, all right. There's Sarah no shortage me. of news. We've got plenty to go on. These, this is why Sarah, the, you know, this is why she sits over there and just gnashes her teeth and curses me. <laughs> I sit there and running endlessly behind. Uh, but to cheer you up, though, would you like, would you like some uh, corn and potato hot fries? And these are not just corn and potato hot fries. These are Chris Paddock bought these for me, Plaid Pantry. These are, wait for it, Andy Caps. Hot fries. You mean the cartoon character? Uh, the comic strip character? Plays? That's what I'm saying. Andy, and he didn't buy these in like 1971. These are Andy Capps hot fries from the Plaid Pantry across the street. He bought these yesterday. I was about to say, it makes you wonder when those were manufactured. I mean, what? When is, Andy Cap actually had Andy some star Kapp. power. Sarah, yeah. do you even know who Andy Cap is? Nope. That character right there? I don't think so. There you go. That's what I'm saying. Who signed this deal and when? Was this like some grandfathered-in endorsement thing? I don't know. Well, what do we got? We got uh, Hagar the Horrible and uh, Andy Cap and the Schmoo right, <laughs> to and, endorse uh, some crap. And, and High and Lois are going to come out with a new uh, you know, sponge cake next week. Just, I love the word sponge cake. <laughs> You're a funny man. We'll break, but before we do, Sarah, here's let me just give you the quick Andy Cap and the hot fries. Are, they're like Cheetos but sort of spicy. You should have one. Uh. They're bad, but they're good. 
Yeah. I mean, they're terrible, but they're really good. Sarah, you should have yeah. one. Oh, I'll have one. No, lunch. come on, have one. Just one little, one little old cheese hot fry. I mean, they're bad, but they're great. You know, they're they're the awful kind of good. All right, easy one too. Right, hold on a second. So, and then I'll tell you about these. All right, so here's the thing about these handicap hot fries. They're stale. Well, I left them open in my office. You like stale? Are you sure? Guys. Because they do sort of taste like they've been around since '71. No. Yeah. yeah. How long have they been open? Yeah, since last night. Oh, okay. But you only popcorn in here for days on end. I, you know, no, I like stale food. What's the date on the uh, must-eat-by uh, thing on the back of the label? Uh, June 6, 2009. So, I mean, they are brand new. So here's the thing about Andy Cap, Sarah, and then we'll break. Andy Cap is a comic strip character, like in the in the newspaper, like by High and Lois and Garfield. Andy Cap is, I believe it's a, I think it's a spin-off of a British comic strip. But here's the thing. Andy Cap is, in fact, a drunken, abusive husband. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing. Like, and I'm not gilding the lily or anything there. Andy Cap is, in fact, uh, he is, in fact, a, I believe, domestically abusive drunk. I think about but half, it's funny. I think about half of his panels take place in the pub, don't they? Yeah, but it's like him getting sauced and then going back home to his, who his wife, who I don't think you ever see. But I get the feeling that he get that she gets a rolling pin across the face. Yeah. A little beat down. Yeah, I get the feeling that he gives her what for with a bunch of fives. You should sure not the other way around. She gives him the rolling. I pin? don't know. All I know is the comic strip is filled with violence and drinking. Yeah. And so of course, what better thing to use to sell snacks to children? <laughs> I love this country. I really do. All right. Um, can like I was just can like uh, you know can like an Ike Turner you know like uh, <laughs> for kids <laughs> Ike Turner sponge cake. <laughs> All right. There you go. Back after this. Um, I keep thinking there ought to be a better Ike Turner food that I could name check. No, I got nothing. All right, back after this with Todd Tulsa's more news. Your calls, stay there. Why, hello, it's the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It is 503-733-2970. Oh, by the way, just, uh, this, is, this has nothing to do with New Year's, but I made, I made this note to myself uh, while watching the, uh, while watching the, uh, the Dick Clark thing. Um, I guess they're going to be launching on ABC. Boy, this seems very 2003. They're going to be launching on ABC a new show. I'm unclear about whether it's... A, dr- a drama, or whether it's a reality series, or whether it's kind of a little bit of both. I swear to God, it is a new series called Homeland Security mm. USA. Yes. Really? It's yeah. weird. I mean, it seems like an idea that they should have gotten to about, I don't know if there's like a strike on again or something, and there's no new ideas. <laughs> Find me something that's dated. You know, here you go, Chief. Homeland Security, the series. You know reality series cost a fraction of what it would cost to produce, for example, a 24. Absolutely. You know, I mean, they are so cheap to produce. But, but know, I don't think this is, well, I, this is part of that. I mean, they got to send out multiple camera crews to cover the Coast Guard, the Border Patrol, the Customs people. But, I mean, who ICE. wants to watch that? Who's sitting at home going, oh, I can't wait to watch that Border Patrol Customs agent show? I mean, really, I, you know, you have that show where the Coast Guard sits there and they stare out at the water for hours on end, drinking. You know, I mean, this is like, I don't, you know, like... I don't mean, I'm not, look, I'm not trying to disparage the military in any way, but really, what is the Coast Guard, like, let's say, oh, I don't know, off the coast of Oregon doing at this point? 
Really, what are they? What are you protecting us from? Well, Sperm whales? Well, people who fall in the water off of their boats. Their boats capsize. They send out those rescue swimmers on the helicopters. They're busy boys. So they're protect. Okay, so that is that what the Coast Guard does? Because I thought that was almost. I thought it was a National Guard thing. No, that's a rescue. That's a Coast Guard rescue operation. Okay, okay. so they and rescue. They rescue. I guess in Oregon there is a lot of that too. A lot of the whole. There is like, a lot uh, of that. You know, those fifteen swells ain't foot swells ain't nothing. Let's too go out fishing. Too many drunken crabbers out there. Drunken crabbers. I'm sorry, I can't come in. I got a bad case of the drunken crabbers. I uh, I can barely I can barely walk, to be honest. Anyway, oh, and the logo for Homeland Security USA is gold. It's like stenciled, you know. It's like stenciled letters because like it's a militaristic, and then like I swear to God, it's ringed with barbed wire. Oh, oh, the perfect. dumbest thing you've ever seen in your life. How apropos. I have a question for you, Todd Tolson. You've it? done movies, TV, radio. I have. Uh, you've uh, worked with the uh, the rash covered Tom Hartman. Um, the I have a question. When they say things like reality TV takes a fraction, you know, costs a fraction yeah. or whatever, but yeah. I don't mean to sound dumb. Why is that though? Because here's the thing: you got to have camera people, editors, directors. Uh, you know, you you got to have somebody, even though they're unscripted. We all know that's not true. Okay. You got to have people who are who are scripting it off the record somehow. I mean, you're not paying maybe the actors, but I mean, is that it? Is that really the savings? Is you're not paying the actors? The actors are a tremendous cost to any any show. These these guys are getting paid way over union scale, right? Where union scale is like maybe five, six, seven hundred a day, right? Right. Right. When you got a, you know, you got a, you know, a C, you know, a CSI ensemble or a Law and Order ensemble of characters who are getting paid, you know, tens of thousands a day, you know, everything goes up exponentially. All right, so here's my question for you then: Are you a member of SAG? I am. Okay, so, uh, hey, what's up with that strike? Are they going to strike here in Oregon? Am I, I allowed know. to ask that? Sure. Right. Yeah, are they going to strike? I don't know anything about it. All right. Uh, okay. I mean, I just got my SAG ballot in the mail for the Screen Actors Guild Awards, and I love this. This is when they start sending me DVDs of movies that have not been released the on public DVD. can't see. Absol- well, no, I mean, there are movies that are currently in the theaters, but they want me to view it in ah. the comfort of my home. Well, because your vote uh, matters. Hopefully, uh, I will see the light, and it is for my consideration. Excellent. Very cool. Yeah. Um, yeah, Tim, uh, Tim Riley gets those, too, and he'll sort of lure them over me. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go home tonight and watch a movie in the comfort of my home that <laughs> More, you know, something mortals cannot do. It would cost me nine dollars at the theater. Yeah. Um, so, but so here's an idea. So you know, you say the SAG. There's like the scale or whatever that actors oh, yeah. work for. Yeah. And then let's say you got your uh, let's say you got your dramatic series like your CSI yeah. Washtakna yeah. or whatever. And then there's, then there's like Homeland Security USA, which yeah. is costing less. Doesn't it seem like at this point the way to do it would be? I mean, look, there's a billion actors in the world. Doesn't it seem like look, NBC would go. Hey, uh, you know, times are tough. Everything sucks. You actors, you're not getting any work. You know why? Because we keep doing reality shows. You know why? Cost too much. You know why? You keep charging us too much. So here's the deal. Uh, We know you are fame-hungry attention horse, uh, which I say no disrespect. (laughs) I myself, look, I'm... I'm hosting a program with my name on it, you know. So I mean, look, I'm I'm an actor. I'm okay with that. Oh no, I'm. You know, it is what it is. I'm zen with it. Um, look at me. Love me, please. Don't you prove that I have worth. Look at me, I'm wonderful. Uh, well, that's true in your case. Ah. The, uh, but but don't you think why doesn't uh, why doesn't let's say CBS, who it seems need to cut costs at every uh, turn, why doesn't CBS Television say, look, we don't want to be doing all this crap reality. You know it's bad. We know it's bad. No one really likes it. But we can't afford to be paying uh, you know whatever David Caruso like nine billion dollars an episode. Right. And really, the idea that anybody will watch or not watch a show because of, like, David Caruso, for example, is just stupid. You know, I'm not going to watch it if Jim Belushi's not in it. I'm not going to... That's ridiculous. No one makes that decision. So why doesn't CBS say, 
look, we want to save money. You million, you know, you billion actors out there that are in the Screen Actors Guild, you want to work. So we're going to pay you. Not a lot. You're not going to get paid much. You'll get paid maybe slightly above scale. Enough to live on, maybe. Uh, but you know what? You're going to be in a network television show, and, you know, th- you will be famous. There you go. Take it or leave it. Well, I think that might work in the first year, right? In the first year. Let's say they do something like that. Uh, a show that is not a reality show. Let's say it's a sitcom or right. a drama. Right. And uh, a bunch of no-name actors are, are thrown into uh, into the mix. Then, after the first year, the show takes off, is huge in the ratings, and brings in zillions of dollars in advertising revenue. At that point, don't you think the actors have the right to say, okay, let's renegotiate? I think they, they, they have the right to, but don't you think at that point the studio would just say, like, well, look, I mean, we don't want to have to fire you all and replace you, uh, you know, with, like, housewives of whatever, you know, Gresham. Uh, but we will. We've done it before. It seems like the networks really have the upper hand, because let's be honest, when you were dealing in an entertainment-based industry... Uh, anything that is based on entertainment or celebrity or acting or fame, the man always has the upper hand because he knows, uh, you know, that really there are actors out there who are like, hey, I want the gig. Yeah, but don't you think there is uh, viewer loyalty that uh, if the casts were completely swapped out for a new cast with the same characters' names, like uh, Lieutenant Bismo, who was played by Al Park in the first season, suddenly Lieutenant Bismo is being played by Ray Stivers in the second season. Don't you think it would be something... It'd be like Darren from Bewitched, you know? Remember suddenly one season, the old Darren was gone, and the new Darren showed up, and then no one ever said anything about it? I suppose. Samantha had a new husband? I guess. Although I can't think that I've ever, like, watched a rerun of that, and I can't. Why? This is a travesty. Yes, that's only one husband, though. What about an entire series that swaps out its entire cast? Uh. I don't know. As a viewer, I probably know. wouldn't be. Uh, I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not that. trying to like. I'm not trying to help out the fat cats, Todd. I'm just wondering because I would just. It would be really nice, uh, you know, to to not have to just write off network television, which is what I do every time I see that they're rolling out like Homeland Security <laughs> USA, the reality show, which no one wants. So it would be nice to be able to turn on. Oh, I don't know. Pick a network and not just have it be a big field of garbage. I mean, just just for once. Have you noticed how many judge shows there are? are yes. That's oh, the yeah. only thing yes. on ever. It's all the time. All the time. Same thing because they have to pay people just a pittance, right? Right. I mean, they're paying Judge Judy or whatever a lot, and but everybody else on there for free, more or less. Well, you got the bailiff. You probably pay him scale. Yeah. He doesn't open his mouth and say anything. Yeah, he doesn't speak. And the people who are on the show, they get paid whether they win or lose. Oh boy! And let me just tell you, and where yeah. do they get the people to sit in the gallery for that? You know, what I, are they doing there? And we know it's so, not like let's make a deal. You know, where they're waiting to be called or you know or. <laughs> Or Price is Right. You know who sits in the gallery? My mother-in-law. Because when I was in uh, when I was in Utah over Christmas, first of all, the, look, I, I love television. Don't get me wrong. I am not a, I'm not a snob. I'm not a whatever. I'm not above anything. I am a bottom feeder. My taste is relentlessly mainstream. I am the carp of the of the American media consumer world. I will watch almost anything because I have no standards. That being said, occasionally. Maybe one book now and again. You know what I mean? Maybe just a, you know, maybe read something, even if it's just the back of a cereal box. But in my in-laws' house, TV never off, and it's always either, uh, it's always either one of those shows where it's like, it's like one of those, uh, like, not CSI, but like one of those, uh, you know, like 48 Hours, one of those like news programs, like with like with Stone Phillips or somebody. But it always starts off with like her body was found in a bag. You know, it's like one of those horrible <laughs> crime stories. Where she's watching it purportedly, you know, my, like my, my mother-in-law's watching it to see justice done, but it's really just because old women like stories about people being killed. Old women love murder. They love it. And can't get enough of it. My mom is one of those. Old women love murder things. And so it's either that, or it's Fox News, or it's a judge show. 
And I mean, you're sitting there and you're just listening to like the millionth hour of like judge, blah, 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 blah. Oh, it's all like these sassy ladies, too. It's totally. so obnoxious. Exactly. No, it's a lot of like, no, it is, and sassy is exactly the word for it. And then they start yelling and, the, oh, it's just, it, it's way too much for me to handle. I'd rather watch nothing than I have mean, that on. Really, it is, it's like having, um, it's like having a belt sander taken to my back teeth. <laughs> it's just so awful. And to make matters worse... Who watches worse, judge shows? I want to know anybody who enjoys them. I, I think it is... I would love to know the demographic breakdown I of think it is... Show. This is my theory, though. I think it is... I think it is old people uh, who like... You know, because you know, here's the thing. It's, and then we'll talk to Katie Darrell from TMZ in just one moment here. My thing about old people is that there's a certain kind of old person. There's a certain slice of the oldster demographic. They love things that will irritate or annoy them, things they can sort of cluck their tongues at. You know what I mean? Mm. Because here's the thing, because my mother-in-law, typical, I forget it was a judge, whatever, judge, I think it was Judge Judy, actually, um, who herself, when you see her out of character, is actually pretty smart and funny or whatever. But, you know, you watch the show, and she's just, you know, like, let me tell you a thing. It's like some cranky, like, you know, even, like more dried out Don't Dr. Laura. Me. Totally. Yeah. Um, but, it's, <laughs> but it's like there's some defendant bitching about something or other, and my mother-in-law is sitting there going, well, you look at the pants he is wearing. I mean, who told him he should pull those pants up? I mean, and that is not, you know, when you're going in front of a judge, you don't want to have hair like that. I mean, that's good when you're at the mall or if you're some sort of a rapper. But if you're going to be in, in court, you can't have rapper hair. And I'm sitting there on the sofa going, who are you that I am somehow related to you? So they, but, the, but she loves to see things that irritate her, which is why she watches Fox News, because she likes to hear about what the liberals have done. So, just a theory. Uh, let's welcome now to the uh, Rick Emerson radio program from one of America's finest news sources, TMZ.com, our good friend Katie Darrell. Hello there. Hi, Rick. I think your mother-in-law is my grandma. Well, that's entirely possible. I mean, in Utah, the family tree's a little tangled. I mean, seriously, but you you, you left Law and Order off the list. Totally. They love Law and Order. Absolutely. no. And, and there's like 500 episodes, and they've seen every one of them, yet they'll still watch the repeat. No, and, and, anything, and anything where at some point David Caruso has... Have you noticed this? The David Caruso, he's on, uh, he is on CSI, CSI Miami. Miami. Yeah. Why do I know that? God. Um, have you noticed this, though? David Caruso has one moment... Every episode. Sarah just did it. Oh, my. OMG. Glasses off. Wow. How did you know that? Because everybody knows that. And then he says it's poignant, like, one-liner. And then he says his, yeah, he says his pithy. Yeah. So where he grabs his glasses, whips the glasses off, and then he says, um, like, let's say, uh, you know, like, uh, um, um. Okay, like, uh, for example, uh, there was one where it was, like, at a circus or something. It was, like, at some, like, Barnum and Bailey place. And there was, like, some guy who was like, he was like a mime or a clown or whatever, but they, they needed to find him for questioning because, like, the lion tamer was dead. It was like some bizarre, you know, one of those, like, ridiculous, absurd setups. And so it's like, you know, like, the lion tamer's dead, and they got to, like, find, like, Bingo the Clown. And so they they get ready to go, and it's always right before the commercial break. And they zoom in on Caruso, and the music stops, and he, like, whips off his glasses, and he goes, well, this one, what, I'm sorry, this no, I screwed it up. That... No, he, he goes, he goes, whips off the glasses, he goes, well, this is one clown who's no laughing matter. Yes. And you're yes. like, you're watching it going, oh, my soul. It's their punny moment. Exactly. Not funny, it's their punny moment. Uh, they, all, they all have it at some point during it. And, and It's right. moments like that when you wish the writers stayed on strike. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and you you know, where it just sort of becomes like, it's like it's refrigerator magnet poetry script writing, you know? <laughs> it's yep. like someone has just gotten like, a, there's like a pithometer 
you know, that they have to hit, you know, in terms of their puns. So, I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I clearly watch the show because I'm able, I'm able to sit here and reenact the David Caruso. Because that, that's, by the way, just a variation on this chick he did when he was on um, NYPD Blue, where everything he said seemed to end with the phrase, and we'll get that bastard. You know, I mean, so, all right, oh, whatever. Hey, Katie Darrell, how was your New Year? Uh, New Year was fabulous. Um, had a lot of champagne, had giant uh, king crab legs, and uh, jumped in a pool at midnight. Where, so. were you, where were you spending New Year's, if I can ask? Uh, I was spending it uh, with some friends. But, I mean, was this West Coast, East Coast? Oh, West Coast. Okay, West Coast. I, mean, say, cause I, for, I think because, again, I was raised by the television. Every time anybody refers to uh, crab of any kind, I always just assume that they're in Baltimore. Uh, you know, <laughs> So that's uh, in Baltimore hanging out with Richard Belzer. I wish. No, just uh, I was actually at a party up in, like, Beverly Hills. So. Of course you were. That's of course okay. I was. No, 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 it's fine. You know, that's why. You know what it is? Uh, you, you know what? You are like Katie Darrell, and I know this sounds weird, but hear me out. Katie Darrell, you are like... Uh, those first couple of pages that used to be in the very, very front of Playboy magazine, which is the black and white photo gallery of just the last party at Hef's place. <laughs> and it was like, why, here's Hef hanging out with James Coburn, and there's James Earl Jones getting himself a martini. And you're looking at it going, that's pretty great. Someday I'd like to be invited to that. So <laughs> y- you, are, you, are in, you are in that strata, and that's why we love you. So. This is true. This is true. I hang out with the cool kids. It's true. Uh, so you are a liaison to that, to that upper crust. So let me ask you, uh, what, is, uh, what is happening in the world of TMZ? What are you excited about today? Well, there's some big stories right now. Uh, and this one, actually, I love it because it's a story that was old, but now it's being fresh again. Um, I'm not sure if you guys remember when Josh Brolin and Jeffrey Wright got arrested last July. They were just at the rap party for that movie, W. Right, right. Um, so all this went down. We always had the police reports. Well, apparently um, some video just surfaced of the actual fight that was out that night where the cops are using the taser on Jeffrey Wright. Fantastic. Uh, they do the pepper spray in the face of Josh Brolin. We've got all the video. It's up at online at TMC.com. You see that, like, you know, Josh Brolin and Jeffrey Wright were really just minding their own beeswax. You know, they were just kind of standing there doing nothing, and all of a sudden handcuffs are being thrown out. Uh, they're on the ground. And actually the lady who's doing the videotaping is great because she's telling the cops, I want you to know this being videotaped. You know this is being videotaped, right? And then when she witnesses Jeffrey Wright being tasered multiple times, even when he's on the ground and not putting up a fight, she's yelling at them, you know, stop it. You know, why are you still tasering him? What are you still doing? So it's pretty uh, interesting video to take a look at. And it's also interesting that, like, I mean, I guess guess good for her is braver than I am because you got to figure if a cop is willing to, like, taser a celebrity for no reason – probably I'm not going to be the guy there going like, hey, by the way, I'm recording your uh, criminal acts on videotape, and I'm right here within tasering distance. Exactly. I mean, you can hear that the cops actually are telling this lady, you know, step back, you know, get out of the way. Um, I'm not sure if there's an actual threat. There's some words that sound like it kind of like a get out of the way or else sort of thing. But there's a lot of noise and background stuff going on, and obviously you can't see the lips, and you can't see the lady who's holding the camera. So I definitely highly recommend that you guys take a look at this. In the meantime, though, so in addition to this video coming out, it turns out that as long as um, their lawyer, Blair Burke, uh, she was representing both uh, Berlin and Wright, convinced the prosecutors to dismiss all charges against all seven of the defendants, so them plus five others, uh, provided that they obey the law until uh, mid-March, and then everything's going to be dropped. So, I mean, don't you, if you have a taser, I mean, this is why I don't have, like, a stun gun or a, or a real gun, for that matter. You figure if you're a cop, tasers are still kind of a bright, shiny object. They're still kind of new enough. Uh, then I think if they gave me a taser as a cop, like I would just 
I mean, I'm not going to lie. Uh, this is why happy. I would be seriously. I would be. This is why I'd never pass the psych test or whatever they give you. I would just be waiting for a guy just to give me the hairy eyeball, and man, I would just taser his ass like for no reason. I mean, I'm willing to admit that I would misuse that power. And I would assume that not only would you misuse it um, out on the public, you know, while you were on duty, but I'm guessing you would be the type of guy that at home, you know, after a long day of the Rick Emerson show, when you're sitting back with like your scotch or your whiskey, uh, you're gonna you're gonna find your PA and you're gonna taser him. Absolutely. No, seriously. You know, why didn't you get Alice Cooper as a guest? Yeah, no, totally. Why do you keep booking T.D. Daryl? Stop it! <laughs> uh, is uh, is anything uh, else happening that uh, about which you are incredibly excited? Yeah, actually, uh, have you guys been following this Charles Barkley story? Yes, boy, um, that is just a, that's just a fantastic ball of happy. I know, I know. So warm and fuzzy. I just want to wrap myself in it. Uh, so Charles uh, Barkley was busted for DUI uh, just last week. We got the actual surveillance tape um, of him running the stop sign and then flipping a Yui and then stopping and picking up the lady who is reported in this police report to have been the person that Charles Barkley said was going to give him um, uh, an, a, a, fa- a Monica Lewinsky-style favor. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Which he did. Now, is it, is it right that he, because he told the cops, apparently, he said, I was just going to drive around the corner and get a blank uh, from this woman, a certain uh, sexual act. And did he then actually go on to say, by the way, she's done it before, and it's the best one I've ever had. Exactly, which is no good for Charles Barkley. I mean, come on, dude. Keep it together. I mean, you would think that, I mean, was that like his attempt to sort of like male bond with the cops? I think so, exactly. It was a buddy-buddy system where this guy would be like, ah, you know, I understand. I like to get some of that, too. And all right, well, you know, maybe I'm just going to put you down for speeding or something. But no can do. This uh, Charles Barkley thing is sticking. Uh, His lawyers did finally come out, I believe it was yesterday, saying that, you know, Charles Barkley appreciates, you know, his fans supporting him in this time. Yada, yada, yada. Basically just the talking mouthpiece, knowing that they have to backtrack and try and help clean up his image. But the Charles Barkley video is up at TMZ.com. Cool. And, uh, and and I love that TMZ, um, you know, went ahead and put arrows. So there, there's like an arrow following his car. There's an arrow pointing at the woman, an arrow pointing at the cop. So you know what's going on because it is kind of grainy video. Are you able to see whether the woman is hot? No, we can't see that. Well, that's too bad. Right, she looks like Bigfoot in this video. Are you kidding me? We uh, don't know what it is. It's just this blurry mass that moves. I just, you do have to wonder if not only a little bit of male bonding, and you know, he's trying to use a celebrity probably because he said he actually told the guy he's like, I'll get your name tattooed on my ass if you let me walk. But the when he actually, when Barkley, first of all, you gotta wonder if the woman was in earshot when Barkley's like. Look, I was just going to re- go around the corner to get a blank. Uh, and by the way, it's the best I've ever had. You got to wonder if maybe the sort of implication there to the officers was also like, and look, I can I can hook you I up. Know. I mean, look, maybe uh, right there. maybe yeah. maybe the home fires have cooled. Charles Barkley can hook you up for some quick love. Yeah. I mean, all right, excellent. As always, Katie Darrell, it is a pleasure. Happy New Year. We look forward to speaking with you again. Thank you so much. Happy New Year. And don't forget to watch the TV show tonight at uh, 6:30 on Fox 12. Absolutely. Thank you, Katie. Bye. All right, there you go, Katie Darrell, ladies and gentlemen, TMZ.com. What a I great report. Dig her, isn't she great? Yeah. You know what? She gets in it and rolls around. All right. We should take a break. Come back after this. Todd Tulsa, more news. I don't intended to sound creepy, but it kind of did. That gets in the news and rolls around? No, you didn't say news. You just said gets in it and rolls around. Ah, yes. Okay. Uh, and so forth. Uh, coming up next hour, uh, more news from Todd Toltis. We'll do another installment of the greatest songs ever made. Your phone calls and more. By the way, the snack food that Ike Turner would endorse. Pound cake. Back after this.
Larson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. I can't take credit for that pound cake joke, by the way. Uh, a woman sent that to me. Uh, Steph. Well done, Steph. Good job, Steph. Way to go, Steph. All right. Uh, good God. All this email I haven't gotten to. All right. Anyway. Oh, by the way. So apparently I was wrong, but apparently Kathy Griffin, uh, potty mouth, did not marry Steve Wozniak. I guess they dated for a while, and then they split up. They didn't, they didn't actually get married. So there you go. Yeah, I think I remember that, yeah, they broke up and she was Well, then I would think so much less of him if he'd married her. I really would just be, I'd be just very, very disappointed. So, I mean, uh, you know, I mean, I, you know, I, I know he's worth like $300 million. So, I mean, it's not just that he could do better. I mean, he could. It's just that I would just, you know, he, Steve Wozniak... I mean, I'm in no position to, 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 you know, I'm not passing judgment. I'm just saying Steve Wozniak, if you ever see him, he very clearly, he does seem, it seems like Steve Jobs is very much the alpha in that relationship, and Wozniak was just sort of a, you know, kind of an off-kilter, socially awkward nerd, which is great, uh, you know, and fine. But I just, you know, the idea of Steve Wozniak just being bullied around the house and being made to wear a dress by Kathy Griffin, you know, for the next <laughs> few decades is not to make me cry, so. You're saying he fits the Bill Gates mold of a, of a prototy- prototypical geek. Uh, maybe, but I mean, Bill Gates, though, here's the thing about Bill Gates, is that Bill Gates is not so much a geek as he is just a nerd. And it's funny, I, was, uh, I do this uh, on Sunday through Outlook Portland on the CW, and we, but we tape it during the week. So we're actually taping a show this morning about geek, the intersection of geek culture and movie culture in Portland. And I actually asked uh, a couple of the guys, I said, what is the difference between a geek and a nerd? And they were like, math. And they immediately said that like, geeks don't know math. They said, that's, that's it, that's the bottom line. And they said that, um, you know, that geeks will write about the Starship Enterprise, but a nerd will figure out how to make that lithium crystals. Like, that's the sort of, that's the difference. Um, which I think that makes sense. So I don't see Bill Gates as being so much a geek as he is a nerd, because he's like, a, you know, he's a brainiac and all. But Bill Gates is also just like, he really, though, has like, a, like, an, like an actively aggressive streak that I think a lot of nerds don't have, because a lot of nerds just spend a lot of their time hiding so they don't, you know, so they're not pummeled. You know, they're just, they spend their time avoiding beatings in the hallways. And so as a result, they just, they, as a result, they're all like my dog, Philo. Who Aaron Duran, who is one of the guests on that, like Aaron Duran, who is, don't get me wrong, Aaron's all man and so forth, but he's not like a threatening individual, I would say. I don't say that Aaron, I wouldn't say that you meet Aaron Duran and you're suddenly like, you're like, you're fearing like a beatdown or something. So Aaron steps into my living room this morning because I was taking him to, to, to Beaverton. My dog immediately like yelps and runs to the furthest corner of the house and like hides from him. And I thought maybe it was just like, I don't know, like whatever. So I brought Philo back. I'm like, Philo, don't be weird. And he looks up at Aaron and goes, ah! And he just runs away again. So, I mean, and so a lot of nerds are like that. Bill Gates is not like that. Bill Gates may seem like that, but, 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 see, but that's how he lulls you in. And then he just rips out your jugular vein and just drinks your courage. <laughs> I mean, it really is just he, uh, he drinks your milkshake and then burns down, uh, you know, the, 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 uh, the malt shop at which you made it. Anyway, I'm just saying. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, with more news... Todd Tulsis. Thank you, Rick. And now, from the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. Excellent. President-elect Barack Obama describes the economy as bad and getting worse. He's been on Capitol Hill today meeting with House and Senate leaders to talk about the economic stimulus plan. Before meeting with Senate Majority Leader Harry Reid, Obama told reporters we have to act and act now in order to break what he calls the momentum of this recession. So what, when they say an economic stimulus plan, uh, you you know stuff. You you think uh, about things uh, way more than I do. What does that mean exactly? I mean, I know. Let me put it this way. I know what it means. It means that they are trying to do something that will get the economy moving again. But when they say an economic stimulus plan, 
That seems like a really vague way of describing something that ought to have some specificity to it, right? Uh, I think the, uh, right, it's always the devil is in the details. And I think when they say economic stimulus plan, I think it's a euphemism for a transfer of wealth from the treasury, hopefully, to the public. Now... Are you making that up? Are you guessing? Are you bluffing? Combination of all the above? Combination of all the above. So money from the treasury to the public. Yes. And by the public, you mean like us, the public, or yes. like the man, the public? No, no, us, the public. Well, so how are they going to get money from the treasury? I know I sound like schoolhouse rock here, but I mean, how are they going to get money from the treasury to us? Like, well, let's say, example. to me. All right. Oh, well, to Rick Emerson. Well, Rick Emerson already has a job. Okay. He no. says with a note of... No. He says with barely concealed hatred. No, Todd Tulsa's laid-off media professional yes. doesn't have a job. Okay. Right. Uh, but uh, but an economic, an economic stimulus package, which does earmark uh, billions of dollars for infrastructure upgrading, you know, like bridges, roads, right, highways. Right, right, uh, These are, uh, for example, county jobs or state jobs that might have to be uh, right. uh, worked on. Uh, Todd Tulsa's could uh, conceivably end up voicing uh, radio or television advertisements for uh, some improvements uh, so that uh, motorists or pedestrians or cyclists uh, could become aware. You could end up voicing the ad that says, do you want to be a bricklayer? Or whatever. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, if they got to build roads, you could be the guy who records the spot saying, like, attention pipe fitters. Exactly. We're looking for bricklayers right now, and we're paying $19 an hour. If you're a bricklayer, (laughs) if you're a dermatologist, if you're an optometrist, so it sort of then it sort of prompts the question like, if all this stuff needed doing, like why haven't we been doing it all along? Is this why they won't fix the potholes in front of my house? Are yes. they waiting to do it all at once as part of Barack Obama's stimulus package? Well, I think the potholes that's going to be a little while. They have to wait for some dry weather to come along to actually uh, you know fill up the potholes. But, have you seen the potholes on I five oh, for dude, example? Don't oh, even get me started. God. Don't no, don't even get in there. I just and think those you know, were from you know a week's worth of chains. I'm telling you, know, if they don't up the roadway, if they don't have it fixed within like within like 90 days or so, I'm just going to start fixing the potholes on my road myself. <laughs> I had a guy. No, 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 seriously, I have a guy who works at a uh, works at a home. Like a you know one of the Home Depot type places, and he actually gave me an estimate on how much it would cost. You know, seriously, I could fix a pothole in front of my house for like ten dollars. Um, you probably we do that on our street. For Build example. a state for it. Of course, we live on a dirt road where I live. <laughs> so fixing potholes requires nothing more than a little bit of gravel a and a shovel. shovel. Yeah, excellent. <laughs> exactly. With the news, Todd told us. Meanwhile, in North Portland, Sandra Howell woke up to a loud bang and a sudden burning in her shoulder. It took her just a moment to realize she'd been shot. This was Sunday morning as Howell slept in her own bed in her North Columbia Boulevard apartment. Medics took her to the hospital. She underwent surgery. Police, meanwhile, found a hole in her bedroom wall. They went next door to find her neighbor, 45-year-old Albert O'Neill. Mr. O'Neill apparently threw a handgun on his bed, and it went off, <laughs> sending a bullet through the wall into Howell's bedroom and into her shoulders, saying he was deeply sorry. O'Neill gave the police his handgun, saying he's done with guns. I... Wow. Okay, so, uh, first of all, so where, are they living, like, in a regular, like, an apartment? It must be an apartment building. Yes. With, I would say, thin walls from the sound of it. Don't you think? Actually, I, I saw some footage of this on television last night. It went through the wall. It went through the frame of her bed, through a very thick foam cushion, which she uses, like, underneath her regular pillow. And then it shot her in the shoulder. And it went through that, through the pillow, through the shoulder, right? Well, you know, that's, a, that's a, you know what it is? That's, that's Yankee ingenuity. That's, that's American craftsmanship at hand. Look, we can't, we can't seem to make anything that works correctly these days except for guns. Guns, we can, if you need stuff to kill people, Boy, we uh, got it. we're your country. You know, if you're a country that wants to arm itself to the teeth... Uh, you come are. to us. We, we, we got are. you covered. It, but also, I'm intrigued by the idea that he threw the gun down on the bed and it went off. Yeah. That indicates it must have been like a revolver, right? It could be. And it must have been cocked. Yeah, and then perhaps. he must have thrown it on the bed. Which Hard. Seems, yeah, the Hard. beds are sort of spongy, I would say. Beds are 
spongy like sponge cake. There's something really, uh, there's something odd in this story, but I'm not going to doubt Mr. O'Neill's story. All right. Well, fine. Mr. O'Neill seems right. very remorseful, and he's sorry. Okay. Meanwhile, uh, vandals slashed tires on at least 35 vehicles overnight Saturday. It's not the first time it's happened in this Vancouver ma- neighborhood, the St. John's area of Vancouver. Uh, the St. John's area of Vancouver? Yes, Vancouver. Boy, that's like concentric circles of hell. <laughs> Jesus. This was reported about 7.30 on Sunday morning. A resident that's of like the... being in the Baghdad section of Tehran. <laughs> I know. Wow. Kind of an oxymoron, isn't it? A resident of the Cherrywood Park Apartments noticed their tires were slashed. 35 vehicles worth. Turned out to be one of the 15 vandalism victims in that apartment building alone. Other reports came in from around the area. Some of the victims say it's the second time that's happened in their neighborhoods. Have we investigated uh, the possibility that perhaps just naming things St. John's actually causes bad to happen there? Do you know what I mean? I think so. Like there's some sort of curse on those actual words. Like you could take something. Like we had it just for like, a, like as a scientific experiment, like a year. We ought to take like Bethany and St. John's and just switch the names. Don't do anything else. But just like poltergeist style, you know, where you move the headstone, but you leave the body. You don't do anything else with those with those places. You just start calling Bethany St. John's and St. John's Bethany for a year and see if suddenly everybody in Bethany, like, goes to school and gets a job right. and decides to get off the pipe. Uh, and, you know, and then, but, like, everybody in, everybody in, you know, Bethany, like, if they just start opening, uh, you know, just, like, nothing but liquor stores and you're, like, maiming each other or something. <laughs> I mean, it's just a theory that I have. It's the St. John's area of Vancouver. Where do you live? I live in the ass section of Suckville. <laughs> it's too bad because, you know, there is one beautiful St. John's Bridge. You know, that neighborhood isn't so bad, the St. John's area of Portland. Well, I love it. I think it's beautiful down there. It is. It is. Meanwhile, another rubber-related news. Hugh Hefner admits, I almost swallowed a sex toy. Hugh Hefner gives extra viewers a private tour of the famed Playboy Mansion and admits uh, that his heart was broken over his split with longtime girlfriend Holly Madison, saying, I was blindsided by the breakup, but Holly was looking for something more than I could give her. She was looking for marriage and children. Hefner wasn't lonely for long, though. He adds, when two weeks later a pair of twins arrived and turned out they were interested in being my girlfriends, several girlfriends are easier to handle than one wife. After his new autobiography, Mr. Playboy takes an inside look as his life is filled with luxury, women, and sex. When asked about the book's most shocking revelation, Hefner responds, probably an incident that occurred back in the late 70s where I almost swallowed a sex toy. Wait, hold on. This is, I call shenanigans on this. This is like the very, because we've had part of that story before about the breakup and the getting back together with the twins and whatever. But you can't, okay, let's stop. And by let's, everybody, I mean me. Mm Mm-hmm. So is this a this is a book, not a movie? This, this is, is a book. Really? New, so his actual autobiography? How did I miss this? Autobiography. Is it out now? It's uh, apparently coming out. <laughs> because I've been saying for years that he's the guy that I demand there be an autobiography of Hugh Hefner. Yeah, it says uh, the uh, biography, the autobiography takes an inside look at his life. And it's called Mr. Playboy. Mr. Playboy. By the way, Hugh Hefner is one of the only guys where he can say, what is it? A life filled with, what does it say? A life filled with luxury? The luxury women and sex. He's one of the only guys that could say that where you just don't immediately want to kill him. You know what I mean? Like, Hefner says it, and you kind of go, well, all right. You know, like, he just sort of, okay, then. Uh, but but he is that like a guarantees, though, where he says, like, swallow the sex toy, and then, but, like, now I have to go buy the book? Uh, that would get me to buy the book. It's going to be like the Inquirer. There's no pages. There's no numbers on the pages, so I can't just, like, flip forward to what I want. It makes you wonder whether there's just pictures of the actual swallowing of the sex toy or whether it's just an autobiographical account. Yeah, I'd prefer to pass on that. All right. I had somebody... We were talking about Hefner yesterday, and somebody emailed in, and he asked a question that I... Let me ask you this, Todd Tulsus. Yes, let me ask you a question about the sexing. Yeah. Uh, yesterday, we had a Hefner story, and we were talking about Hefner's round bed. He has a famous round bed. Yes. 
And so somebody emailed in. I won't disclose this person's identity. But this person said, hey, so what is up with that? Please to explain what is the advantage of a round bed. Todd Tulsus? Hmm. Well, offhand, I'd say uh, you don't, you won't get lost on it. Sarah Dillon? Benefit of a round bed? If you're Hugh Hefner. You know, he's got a round bed, which he was famous for. Back when back when you could be does famous it, for almost nothing. I think it actually does <laughs> rotate. I think it actually does rotate, but I think that was installed later. I think Hefner revealed that he, in fact, had some weird sort of game show contest thing involving a rotating bed in him and, like, 50 girls. But but, but before that... I think that's probably more aesthetically pleasing if he's trying to pile... I mean, if he already has three girlfriends, and he's trying to pile them all, you know, in a bed together... <laughs> Assuming you'd rather have a big circular bed than a big square one. I'm just back on that piling women in the center. Hold on, just, uh, just the a human, second. The human body is basically, you know, if you step back and squint your eyes, it's still sort of a rectangle, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, but see, so, but here's, okay, but see, this is my take on it. Now, again, I, uh, I have no sense of spatial relations, but it seems to me the advantage of a round bed is that uh, all things being equal, you uh, one can... Uh, Move around into whatever configuration, and you're not going to have like the thing of like you're like you're, you're like you're, uh, you're like you're going to be hanging off it or whatever. You know what I mean? See, and I would think just the opposite. I would think it would be easier to fall off it. No, but but see, no, because 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 if you're on a regular, let's say you're six feet tall. Yeah. You got a bed that is whatever, like seven feet tall. Let's say, let's say it's you know the large bed. You're six feet tall. The bed is seven feet tall. Yeah. But the bed is seven feet long. But the bed is still only like maybe maybe a third of that wide. Yeah. So it seems like unless you're absolutely in like that, you know, up and down position, then like you're going to be, you know, you're going to have like your, uh, you know, like your legs or your neck or you know, head's going to something get hanging off the edge of the bed. Round bed. Although I guess you could accomplish it with a square bed now that I think about it. See, in a round bed, where do you put your pillows? Side by side, someone's going to be falling off. See, you know, that's the weird thing. See, and this is why I could never have a round bed. Uh, it, having a round bed would be weird for me because I think I would obsess over like the the you, you know about like the orientation of it i would i would obsess about because i think knowing me even if it was a perfectly round bed uh, you know and think first of all you'd have to get all your sheets custom made I and mean, that's going to be expensive <laughs> um but i but if you had a perfectly round bed i can't speak for sarah but i suspect that i would obsess though with making sure that it was actually always in the same position though you know what i mean like i would have to mark one i would have to mark part of it and just make sure that it was always like it, like you know, at pointing at twelve o'clock or whatever. I don't think I could. I think it would weird me out too much. I think it's a problem with square peg round hole situation. In other oh, news. the bed. Okay, all right. I'm sorry. Here's uh, Todd Tulsus. <laughs> other news uh, from Ohio. This curious story: After being stabbed by a woman Tuesday night, a man sat on her until Kitsap County Sheriff's deputies arrived. I'm sorry. This is from the state of Washington. Where else? Deputies were called to an apartment house in the 4200 block of Dyes Inlet Road Northwest. About 7:45, two people had called 911 to report the woman, 39 years old, stabbed a man. That the pair had been drinking. The man then sat on the woman so she couldn't leave the scene after he was stabbed. Sheriff's Office spokesperson Scott Wilson said the stab wound was not serious and the woman had a warrant for drunken driving out already. Of course. She would be arrested for assault. The uh, other gentleman would be cited for misdemeanor assault with a fat ass. And they were... (laughs) That's the corollary. I also like the fact that it just sort of goes without saying that because he was, you know, in that part of the state, he was fat enough to just sit on her. By the way, you know who Les Crane is? Sure. Les Crane, famous DJ. Yeah. Uh, do you know what he did? You know the recording that had his voice? Todd Tulsus? Gosh, Les Crane. Gosh, that rings a bell. All right. Are you aware of uh, Desiderata? 
The oh that thing that Desiderata word thing with you the, you ought to be doing uh, one of those. No, we played Desiderata. I'm sorry, you know Desiderata, don't you? We play that on the air. Mm-mm. Let me just play just a bit of that, and then Sarah has a worst song ever that we're going to play. Yes. Uh, later on, we'll have the greatest songs ever made. Let me just play a bit of this because that was we were, the worst song ever. We we were talking. It was a million seller. I got the whole record at home, not the 45. I got the 33. Oh. Um, so we were um, we were, got a Davida version. Just so, we were talking about motivational posters. I gotta get. I'm gonna write something. I gotta get you to voice one of these. This is a, a hit single from 1971. Uh, this is a very popular DJ named Les Crane. I'll just play a bit of this. This is just called Desiderata. Very 70s. Tips for laid back living. Go placidly amid the noise and haste. And remember what peace there may be in silence. As far as possible without surrender, be on good terms with all persons. Speak your truth quietly and clearly and listen to others, even the dull and ignorant. They They too too have have their their story. So, see, there, and it's, it's word for word, don't you? It's like, I do. <laughs> this has been burned into your hard drive. It's it's like, uh, it's four minutes of that interrupted with this horrible, saccharine-esque, uh, you know, like, free-to-be-you-and-me chorus of, like, you are a child of the universe. You know, it sounds like Todd Rundgren produced the whole thing. Yeah. It sounds a lot like that late 70s Rundgren-esque sort of, you know, gal singing in the background, the harpsichord or glockenspiel, whatever they got, and, and you know, sort of production effects, and... Uh, Gosh, I got to say, by the way, one of the worst songs. Bonus points for using Todd Rundgren as an adjective uh, <laughs> just now. The Rundgren-esque. So you ought to record one of those, though. You know. Okay. But it ought to be like a demotivational one. Like you ought to record an audio version of those demotivational posters. You know what I mean? Well, but make it just horrific. Yeah, yeah exactly. Where it's uh, you know. Sit in the basement of your parents' house, eat Cheetos all day long, watch <laughs> bad daytime television. And then, like that. and then we, and then we interrupt it with the chorus, you know, <laughs> you are made of fail, you know, or just, you know, uh, it would just be three minutes of just, uh, uh, you know, stare blankly at a wall. Exactly. Wonder if your body weight renders you, uh, you know, unkillable by the bottle of Vicodin in the cupboard. Achieve absolute failure in your <laughs> lifetime. Make your parents hopelessly proud of you. Weep silently while staring at internet pornography. <laughs> And then oh, just, no. you know, you're gonna fail all over this world. You know, just lay every, every 30... Please do inspired Richard Oh, Parker. dude. Remember. That's gold. I'm sorry, do you have another one? Yes. Remember, everything is someone else's fault. <laughs> <laughs> Remember always, no matter where she is or what she's doing, she's happier without you. Fail! <laughs> I love this show. I love all of us. I love you, Todd Tolson. Oh, I love you guys. And you were there, Sarah Dillon. And you, Richie Bristol. All right. So here's what we got to do. Uh, Sarah has got another installment of uh, one of our favorite bits. It's the worst song you've ever heard. Uh, this, we, one's, this one's pretty good, I have to say. And, we, and we'll do a break after that. And then later on, we'll do uh, to, to wash that off of our uh, palettes. We got the, uh, another installment of the greatest songs ever made. So what? tell me about this song. Now, I haven't heard this. I don't know what it is. Okay, this is from Logan, uh, who sent it to me. And this is a high school principal... Named Mr. Scretta, rapping about how you need to clean up after yourself in the cafeteria. Well, that's true, though. I mean, it's, that's just common it's sense. Quite true. But yeah. I, I wish that you know that you could see the radio so that you be able to see the amazing video that accompanies this. But the song shall be enough. All right. Scretta boy. You. 
Fred's credit. Tell him. Wow. I got a new test for y'all. This is the white middle of the Of course. You gotta bend over and grab it. What? Uh, it's Trey. Oh. Lunch and make a mess. It's pretty gross. You got a fess. Watch me throw that trash away. Kids, you know what'll make my day. You pick up all that trash. 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 Scredible, he is a pro. Grab that trash and watch him go. Watch me pick up all that trash. Now let's take a look at that bro. You pick up all that trash. You pick up all that trash. You pick up all that I blame trash. Apple for this, by the way. Scredboy up in the cafe. Watch me walk and watch me talk. Pick up all that trash. Yeah, watch me toss it in the bin. I'm so fresh, now watch me walk. Jog into the graveyard, man. When I head up to the trash, I lean to the left and crank that thing. You. So this is all about cleaning up at the cafeteria? Yeah. If I catch you littering, your info surprise. Catch me at your cafe. A smoke. Home digital recording is just one of the worst things that has ever happened to this world. And I'm reading the commentary too, and some of the kids are like, um, they're like, oh yes, that's my principal. Wow. Sung that's with, sung with all the emotion of a DMV clerk. <laughs> no. Seriously. Just, he looks like wow. one. Wow. Does he really? Oh that's... no, he's just like this, this sad little like... White man. Of course. He looks like, you know, mid-30s and... Jesus. That's a guy who's... No, no, no. I know how the children... Uh, I can relate to them. I can connect with them. By the way, uh, the other uh, the other snack food that I Turner would endorse, fruit punch. <laughs> I'll go out on that. Come back after this. More news from Todd Soltis. I got a million of them. I really don't, but the audience does. I'm happy to read them. Todd Soltis uh, returns on the corner. More news later on. Uh, another installment of the greatest songs ever made. Ooh, and I have a story about a man covered in feces. You stay there. Drive by Miami style. I don't think so. If you don't spend a thousand dollars on clothes that you're never going to wear. A hundred people throwing golf balls at the sight of a death. Those odds are very slim, aren't they? So the question becomes, Alex, was the mob sent to draw us to the crime scene? Or sent to destroy it? That's fantastic. Somebody sent that to us. I want to hear that whole thing. Seven and a half minutes. Oh, Seven and a half minutes of, of David Caruso... <laughs> Either because some of these I'm watching in here, some of these he's not taking the glasses off, some of these he's putting them on. on. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes it's like he'll, and I think they must have figured out at some point that everybody was sort of, you know, they got the pattern. Because then he was sort of, he was, because then he was doing like a little bit of, uh, like an alley oop on it. He was sort of doing a little twist where you take off the glasses, say nothing, right. and say, the question is, and then he puts the glasses back on as right. a punctuation. Good for you, David Caruso. Right. Well done. It is uh, the Rick Emerson Radio Program. It's 503-733-2970. Join us tomorrow when I guess we'll include Mr. Skin from MrSkin.com. Uh, joining us today, uh, voice guy extraordinaire Todd Tulsis, uh, who can be reached at ToddTulsis.com. Yes. Actually, uh, you'll find that at ImagingVoice.com. Oh, damn it, damn it, damn it. ImagingVoice.com. Third time I've done that. That's okay. Imaging Voice, just like it sounds. Imaging Voice, yeah. ImagingVoice.com. And so what do you now, do you do, uh, is it just, you kind of just take the jobs one at a time and judge them on whether to do them, or you do, do you specialize in a certain kind of voice work? Oh, God, I'm such a whore. I'll do anything. Good for you. That's, no, that's seriously, I, I respect know, that. Radio, television, CD-ROMs, uh, imaging, like I said, for radio, television stations, uh, narrations, voiceovers, film slips, slideshows, bar mitzvahs, uh, you know, uh, strip mall openings. Reel? 
Of course. Really? Where it's just we got to play that at some point. If, you're, if you come of back course. and join us, if you favor us with your presence again, which we would love to have you back, you guys um, just call and I'll I'll burn up the street behind me to yeah, get here. God bless Paul, you. You're awesome. I'd like to hear your demo reel at some point. Is it just a bunch of stuff all sliced together? No, you know it's uh, you know, it's it's funny. I do have a like a video demo reel from the movies and stuff yeah. that I've done in the past, and cartoons and things. Yeah, I do. Uh, I should probably post that on my website. It's uh, it's kind of funny. So, uh, ladies and gentlemen, if you'd like uh, to uh, hire Todd Tulsas to uh, grace you with his golden pipes, and why would you not? Really, uh, it, it's uh, imagingvoice.com, and I'll put a link up to that on my uh, site tonight. Thank Gosh. Gosh, thanks. Right. Imagingvoice.com. Wait, hold on. I'm trying to do a, a Caruso one-liner. Um, wait, no, 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 wait, no, no, this is, this is one voice that, no? You can do it. In terms of, you know, his throat, no? <laughs> Tongue? Don't choke. I've got, wait, no, 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 suddenly this case has got teeth. No, that would only work if you're a dentist. Um, wait, no, 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 hold on. Hold on. You know, they may have cut out Todd Tulsus's tongue and, and decapitated him. What? But... Maybe the crime scene can speak to us. No, that doesn't work. I'm sorry. From the CBS Radio Center in downtown Portland, this is the news. I'm made out of fail. Thank you, Rick Emerson. Thank you, Sarah Dillon. Dateline, Wicamico Church, Virginia. Having missed his school bus, a six-year-old Virginia boy tried to drive to school in his family sedan. And crashed, but state police say the boy suffered only minor injuries. Eventually arrived at school after being evaluated at the local hospital. The police did not return a call Tuesday morning asking him exactly who brought him to the school. Police say the boy who wasn't identified missed the bus, took the keys to the family's Ford Taurus, and started towards school while his mother was asleep. Not in the car. He ran off the road several times before hitting an embankment and a utility pole. Police say he was not wearing his safety belt. I never understand these stories about the five-year-old who's able to drive somehow. I mean, I How guess he ran off the road, but... feet reach the pedals? See, that's what I'm saying, but maybe the answer is in the question, that, like, he ran off the road. Because maybe he's on the floor, like, one hand on the wheel, but he's down on the floor pressing the pedals or something. You know, in an automatic transmission car, you don't need to reach the pedals to get up to, what... Three, four, five miles an hour. No, it's true. You can just uh, just idle forward. Yeah. Yeah. All yeah. right. Well, there but you the go. problem is stopping. That's another problem. <laughs> That's here's your problem right here. Dateline, San Luis Obispo, California. Two practical jokers are behind bars now for setting their passed out drinking buddies' crotch ablaze while boozing in Grover Beach. Matthew Pillars and Jack Kiefer pleaded no contest to a felony great bodily injury charge. Crotch ablaze. Yeah. We've used the word crotch a lot today. Have you yes. noticed that? Uh, the fellow, poor fellow's name is the uh, Elliot. Tuleha. Like he was passed out when the men poured cologne on the man's groin and then set it on fire. Tuleha had... Your crotch. Set. Your crotch is on fire. Exactly. Can you imagine someone trying to wake you up and say, your, your crotch your crotch is on fire. By the way, it's just uh, your penis is on fire. And, uh, Mr. Tuleha had second-degree burns on his... Doesn't yes. crotch ablaze sound like some sort of a, like a detergent product or something? Crotch ablaze? Get that out with crotch ablaze. It's like Billy Mays. Billy Mays for crotch ablaze. <laughs> and you only have to add a little bit. See, I was going the booyah base. Booyah base. Right there. <laughs> <laughs> Meanwhile, man shoots self in groin during robbery. Dateline, Kokomo, Indiana. Well oh, shoot. A man accidentally shot himself in the groin as he was robbing a convenience store on Tuesday. Clerk told police a man carrying a semi-automatic handgun entered the village pantry demanding cash and a pack of cigarettes. You figure if he demanded cash, he could buy his own cigarettes uh -huh. at that point. But anyway, the clerk put the cash in a bag, and as she turned to get the cigarettes, she heard the gun go off. Police. <laughs> Police say surveillance video shows the man shooting himself as he placed the gun in the waistband of his pants. The clerk ah, so was not injured. A short time later, police found 25-year-old Derek Kosh at home 
with a gunshot wound to his right testicle. Uh, because you can't take that into the hospital. That's just a, that's a, How are you going to explain that? And it's emasculating both literally and, and figuratively. <laughs> I mean, you can't... I love guys who, like, everything they know about how to be a criminal came from, again, like, like a David Caruso, yeah. you know, film of some kind. Those are, you know, let me just jam this into my pants. What could go wrong? Could you go know? Wrong? Yeah. We've seen too many people jam guns in their pants in the movies over the years no, for this true. not to happen repeatedly over exactly. and over again. That's exactly what I'm saying. Exactly what All I'm right. saying. Hey, I'm, let me interrupt here for a second. Yes. So, Sarah, so here's the deal. So I got the uh, greatest songs ever made. Uh, I'm saying all told, it's going to take, like... Yeah, that's good. We got it. So yeah, you, should we do we one more? Now. Should we start it now? Yeah, let's start. Do you feel like it? Do we feel like we have uh, like we should spend more time with Todd Tolsis instead? I'm on. I, I, think a, I think this song might be a nice way to end the day. Not to say that we don't want to spend time with him. Oh, but we can God. all enjoy the the song together. You're gonna make oh, me right. tear up. Oh, now you. All right. Uh, okay. Well, so what we'll do is we'll do uh, we'll do this installment of the greatest songs ever made, and then uh, on the other side of the break, we will uh, spend a uh, final few moments, at least for today, with Todd Tulsis and uh, so forth. Like us at three. Don, I've done it. This is like a second time today. I've done that. Uh, like us at three. Michael Maris show at seven. Uh, this, however, is another installment of the greatest songs ever made. Simplicity is, after all, an art. Those who find moderation to be unchallenging or rudimentary often don't see the disproportionate effort required to make the most out of the least. As rock and roll progressed and evolved, what began as a music form dominated by three-minute, three-chord pop songs eventually transmogrified into 15-part musical expeditions, turgid compositions taking up the better part of three album sides. Occasionally, these overwrought orchestrations were worth the vinyl that held them. More often, though, one felt disconnected from this music, on the receiving end of a cold clinical exercise in technique, style, and the stark reality that when your song is 19 minutes long, it really doesn't have to be that good. And then came punk. Rewriting the old rules, punk also simply rewrote the old and redid the old, taking its cues from the earliest days of fast, loud, willfully catchy and intense pop jams with a little bit of an edge. From the Ramones to the Sex Pistols, from the Stooges to Fear, punk reduced and distilled all forms of rock to their bare essentials and revealed the glory and potential of using just enough. Which brings us to the Riverdales. Created as a side project to legendary punk band Screeching Weasel, the Riverdales embody a raw, winning punk aesthetic of melody, crunch, and sweetness tinged with scruff. Through three albums of instant classics, they've never strayed from their trademark sound, which is the sound of a million bands before and a million bands after. But, as so often happens, they occasionally became transcendent, as is the case with this song. Three minutes and 30 seconds of tough guy declarations of love. The corner kid with the heart of gold. Add in the irresistible elements of a sing-along chorus, a series of woe-ohs, and one of the simplest guitar solos ever put on tape. And like all great punk, it's the very embodiment of more than the sum of its parts. Saying in 180 seconds what it takes other bands' whole careers to never, ever say. This is the Riverdales, and one of the greatest songs ever made. Back to you.
now into the saddest part of the broadcasting day, the final segment of the Rick Emerson radio program. Be sure to listen to us online, won't you please? Uh, anytime. It's uh, 970.am. You can listen to us uh, live on the Internet. You can get That's us... Uh, listen to Mr. Riley online. That's true. Oh that, that, is a, that is very true. Uh, you can get our podcast online and then at RileyLive.com. RileyLive.com. Our good friend uh, Tim Riley, never far from our thoughts. RileyLive.com. Uh, Tim Riley's uh, podcast launched yesterday, so uh, go listen to it. I command you. All right. Hello, Todd Tulsas. Hello, Rick Emerson. How are you today? Oh, man. So I'm you, smoking. You do the Hawaiian punch guy. Hey, uh, have a nice Hawaiian punch. Is that the only impression you can do? No, I've got a couple others. Gosh, I, you know, I, I, I had to start thinking about it when you mentioned it to me before, and I started writing them down. But I decided they're all impressions that no one has any use for whatsoever. But see, those are the best kind. Like what? Well, for example, like, uh, you know, people who are dead now, and it's not really funny to make fun of them anymore. Oh, no, you're wrong. That's where you're wrong. For example, I, uh, I made, you know, sort of a living on stage portraying Ronald Reagan for over a year. Please now to... Um, please. Please, come on. Well, I, I'm, I'm not aware of any crisis in the Middle East right now. It's but, kind of freaky. Uh, but, um, you know, if the, if the price of stupidity tops $80 a barrel, I want drilling rights on George Bush's head. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's kind of, yeah, I'm, cre- I'm feeling a creep out right now. All right. And, and to further creep you out, then there's Floyd the Barber from, you know, the Andy Griffith show. Oh, 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 Andy, he was in here yesterday. Okay, that's unnerving. Like even see if he what wasn't I mean? Dead. No one has any use no, for these things. Okay. You know, I think I ended up, you know, doing these more for my own amusement than anybody else. Yes. Speaking right. of dead people. Oh yes. Here's your snuff watch for Tuesday. With your snuff watch, here is. Todd told us. Two entries in today's Snuff Watch. Pat Hingle, great character, veteran actor, perhaps best known for his uh, role in Batman as uh, Commissioner Gordon, yeah, the, the first, original the first, TV yeah. Commissioner Gordon uh, from back in the 60s, dies at 84, um, died of a uh, uh, blood cancer uh, complication. Blood cancer? I didn't, yeah. know, I didn't know you could get cancer of the blood. Yeah, oh. it's, uh, gosh, it's a word in here that I can't even pronounce without practicing it first. Jesus. So, uh, Pat Hingle died Saturday night of... Myelodysplasia, a type of blood cancer. That's a bad, that of a bad thing. Yeah, at Carolina Beach, North Carolina. That of something I don't want. Uh, not a household name, but this is a guy who has been in you know dozens and dozens of film opposite Clint Eastwood. Uh, opposite he was in the Muppets, the... opposite Sally Field and Norma Ray, opposite Warren. And Bates. we're kind of short on time. You said there are two, right? Yeah. Well, do we want to? Say, do we have time for the other one? I'll make it Sarah? fast. Um, I guess we can just hold it till well, tomorrow. Well, let's hold the other one till tomorrow. Okay. okay. I want to rush it. So, uh, we have another one. No, but Pat Hingle was in The Enforcer. No, no, not The Enforcer. The Gauntlet. The Gauntlet. Uh, with Clint Eastwood and Sandra Locke. Yes. Uh, where's that great, uh, that great bus sequence uh, where the shoot out shoot of the holds end. in the bus, you yeah. know, a zillion holds. You've got a friend at City Hall. That's what Pat Hingle says <laughs> in that movie. Well, Todd Tolstis, who can be found at imagingvoice.com. Yeah. Thank you so much for, uh, for joining me. And when I, Thank and when you for I, saving our asses. Seriously. Thank you for asking me again. And when I say gracing us with your presence, I'm really not, uh, I'm not blown smoke. You sound fantastic, my friend. So thank you so much. You, you are, are so welcome. The door is always open. So and just remember, Tom Hartman has cheerleaders in his trunk. Fantastic. Indeed. 
you want to next scene of radio correspondents Lisa Desjardins, Steve Kastenbaum, uh, and Jim Roop, as well as uh, Katie Darrell from TMZ.com. Rick Emerson, show producer today and every day by the lovely and talented Sarah Stillen for AM 970 The Talker in the newsroom. Todd Tulsis on the phones. Richie Bristol, the gatekeeper. Dave's in. Webmistress Bridget from upstairs. And, of course, CBS Radio Portland marketing guru Susan. Don't F with me, Reynolds. Like us next. Michael Maris show at 7. See you all tomorrow at 10 for the recap. 11 for the show. Thank you for listening. Be safe. And goodbye. We only had one week before deliberations. No need now. The verdict is in.